quiet, numbskulls. I'm broadcasting. Hello, and welcome to the podcast, So There I Was, which is how all great aviation tales begin. This is episode number 62 with our guest, Vapor. Yeah. He was told to stay in the ejection envelope. Yeah, these are words that don't exude confidence when you hear them <laughs> in your headset. Right. Words to live by from your instructor in the rag. Not Stay <laughs> in the ejection envelope. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, that's the tease because uh, that's how he got his call sign. You'll have to hear. You'll have to listen to get to hear the rest. Absolutely. And that was just the tip of the iceberg. And the iceberg it, went deep under the water, baby. It, it really did. and. We'll circle back to that in just a second. I want to stop here and tell some people about some cool things we've got going on here at So There I Was. First of all, this show is sponsored by HelloFresh. If you go to HelloFresh.com slash So There I Was 16, you'll get 16 free meals and free shipping. And who else sponsored us this week, Vic? Well, we have uh, Flight Safety Detectives. It's a podcast, also an aviation podcast. So if you're listening to this, you may be interested in that. They are um, investigators, board members from the NTSB, and a uh, airline safety engineer. And they go, they take deep dive into yep. uh, some of the aviation accidents that are recent and historical, and uh, and even just regular general aviation ones. But it's pretty interesting stuff. Right. To be clear, they're former board member and investigator. Yes. And a reminder, folks, that we have a cool merch store up there. So if you go to so there I was us slash merch, you can get all kinds of cool So There I Was stuff. We think you like the graphics. If you want different graphics, hey, we're happy to take suggestions and see if we can't get on there. But you get koozies, hats, bikinis. Fig's favorite. Is my favorite. Beach towels. <laughs> hey, if someone wants to get a hold of us, how would they do that, Fig? Well, they can send us an email. Uh, mine is fig at so there I was dot us. And, and yours is repeat at so there I was dot us. Another cool thing we've got going this week. Listener Chuck Thompson reached out to me on our Facebook page. So there I was dot us slash Facebook and sent me a 22 minute audio recording that he did in a restaurant in Reno not long ago with Punchy. Remember Brian Shule, our recently passed SR 71 pilot. He talks for that 22 minutes, numerous stories, but one of which was how he got his call sign punchy, which we failed to go into uh, during our show with him. So if you want to hear that, go to the so there I was dot us slash Patreon. And for a $5 donation to the show, you can listen to that. Or if you subscribe to our show on a monthly basis, you'll get that access to that audio recording included. But let's get back to this week's show with Vapor. Stay in the ejection envelope is <laughs> a good way to get a call sign early on. And, va and Vapor is a uh, he's a very he's an excellent raconteur. Tells great story. Our time with him went very fast. That was just tip the iceberg. It did indeed. I, and a, another guy who I'm telling you, man, I was holding my ribs when we finally went to a slight break. Oh, that allowed me to catch my breath. I mean, I was yeah. hurting. <laughs> I was too. I felt like I'd done 150 crunches. <laughs> Right. One of my favorites, he talks about damn near going into hypothermia on a, out in Westpac. He goes out to this uh, Japanese spa. Yeah. Don't, don't go any further. Yeah. Don't go any it's, further with that. It, yeah. It, it's, it's truly a great story. You'll be howling while you listen to this. I guarantee it. 
And then Vapor's a true hero. He was a Gulf War One veteran, VMA 542. He had a long day, which is almost a, a title for this show. We considered it's been a long day. He had a very long day. He had a long day. Uh, he was, uh, should we tease it a little more? Yeah. Let's he, do that. Uh, on a combat mission, he got hit by a missile. And uh, he tried to get, uh, he tried to stay in the airplane as long as he could to get back over into friendly territory. And that's as far as we're going to talk about that. It got ugly. It got long. Let's get out of the way and let Vapor talk about it. Yeah. Crossing the pond. Don't sit on the ejection. At night. Don't do it. In the world's smallest cockpit. On the tanker. Through the weather. Oh, and to the uh, tanker crew who uh, did that. Thanks a lot. We really appreciated that. I'm just kidding. No, I'm not. Well, there I was, crossing the pond, and you could see that I wasn't exactly fun. So there I was, sent the hold short of the runway in 1992 at the Wings Over Houston Air Show. I got Z-Man as the backup on the radio, and uh, I'm scheduled to take off. The Confederate Air Force is launching, you know, and they got to get everybody out and set up, and there's points. So they always fly, you know, kind of planes in between as they're getting all their launches out so they can get set up for their big show. So they had some two, T, uh, two T-6 Texans flying around, doing a little formation flying. And they're going to land in front of me, and then, you know, I'm going to take off. Well, as they come in to land, they're doing a formation landing, and Leeds tire blows. So he corkscrews into front of Dash 2. Dash 2 lands on top of him, kills the guy, oh, and there's shit. a freaking fireball on the runway. And I'm looking at this going, well, shit, this is, this is not going to go. So I say, hey, uh, jump 3-6 with taxi. And I go, clear, clear to taxi. So I go up and I turn, like, head back to the ramp. And they come over and said, hey, uh, uh, hey, jump, uh, do you not know where you're going? I'm heading back to the ramp. Uh, oh, you, you're not going to fly? And I'm looking at him thinking, not going to fly. And I said, so is the air show continuing? As I see the crash fire and rescue trucks going out on the runway to put out this fire. And then there's this pause in the tower. And you know what's going through my mind right now, right? Remember how you used to get the brief for the air shows, like air show pressure and all this stuff? Right. I'm like, right. I'm like, this is all going through my mind right now. Like, does the show go on or is, would this be a dumbass move? So they come back up and they're like, well, uh, we're going to continue with the show if you're comfortable with flying. Oh, shit. The long pause. And uh, my, my CEO is Scratch Jones. And I'm sitting there thinking, yeah. hmm, what would Scratch say right now? And, and the group CEO was Venom. This show was weird to start off with because it never got the, the official level three approval for the level three demo. And Scratch has said to me, Vapor, when you get out there, if an old Marine general tells you you're cleared to fly, you're cleared to fly. Don't question a Marine general. I'm like, all right, sir. So this guy had come up to us and said, well, it's great to have some Marines here. You know, it's going to be great for us, you know, put on a good show, blah, blah, blah. And I called Scratch back and said, he said, well, Vapor, what did he say? I'm like, well, uh, I think he's expecting us to fly. He's like, all right, then put on a good show. So this all goes through my mind as I key the mic and say, well, um, I can fly. I'm comfortable. <laughs> Good, because you're the only guy that can freaking take off because half the runway's taken out. Uh, I'm like, all right, Stovall brother here. It's like, okay, well, uh, here we go. 
At least you didn't have to multitask crash crew. Greetings, everybody. That is how all great aviation tales begin. You're listening to So There I Was. And this is Repeat here. Just got home from a long trip, so I'm happy to be home in New Hampshire right now. No telling where I am by the time you hear this. And my co-host, Fig, here. Where are you tonight, Fig? Well, I'm in Kansas City for another 12 hours, and then I'm off to fly the big blue. Uh, however, I am happy to say what the So There I Was story was from our guest today, Vapor. Welcome, Vapor. Indeed, welcome, Marine. Harrier pilot extraordinaire. A little bit ahead of us at the point, hence you got to go to the Gulf War, and we got to sit and watch you do it on CNN. That's all good. Let's let's don't go quite there yet. Let's back up a little bit. When did you first become interested in aviation? How did you become interested in aviation? And why didn't someone talk you out of it? (laughs) Well, you know, believe it or not, uh, my dad... Grew up on a Depression-era farm in, uh, in Ohio, one of eight boys. And so back then, to kind of, you know, get your start in life, six out of eight boys uh, joined the service, you know, get an education and get started. So uh, my dad had served and, you know, five of my, uh, six of my eight uncles did. So I was kind of like, you know, I'm going to go serve. I had just always kind of had this thing about, you know, kind of a World War II history buff. I'm like, I want to join the Marines. And, and when I met the recruiters, I'm like, okay, these guys – they reminded me of my uncles. It's like these guys were like men, you know, and I'm like, yeah. I would want to go to war with these guys, you know, not the other recruiters I'd met. So it just happened to be that the uh, the assistant, uh, you know, whatever, they had an aviator in the one recruiting office and he was an F4 backseater. And he goes to me, he says, hey, did you ever think of flying? I go, well, actually, no. I said, I don't, I don't know anything about it. And he said, well, he says, why don't you take a test and see how you do? So I took a test. Got it. And I talked to my dad. He said, my dad's like, look, you can always say no later in the military. Say yes to start with. So I was like, all right. So he talked to me all about it. And I, I met the guy a couple of times. I'm like, man, this, this thing's pretty cool. But I, I never envisioned myself being able to do something like that. You know, and just I just didn't come from that background. Um, you know, nobody even really went to college. Yeah. So anyway, so I get in there. And so now I, I get to TBS and I got this air contract. I'm a PLC air guy. And uh you know, three months into the TBS, you know, you got your MOS selection. And uh, Captain Nicely, who's a grunt, my SPC, calls me and he goes, hey, Walsh, you know, what would you decide? And I said, man, I'm, I'm still not really sure. You know, I was, I kind of thought I was going to go infantry. And and he says, uh, we're talking about it. And, of course, this is 1986. So what has just come out? Oh, Top Gun, baby. Yeah. Top Gun. Yeah. I got dudes knocking on my door at night at TBS. Hey, Walsh, you're giving up your air contract. I want it. And so I'm sitting going, holy crap, you know, this is maybe I'm not thinking straight. So God bless Captain Nicely. This guy was a grunt, and he sits down with me, and we talk about it. He, he looks at me and says, you know, he goes, if you have the opportunity to go to flight school and you don't go, I think you're going to regret it the rest of your life. He goes, why don't you go down there and give it a shot? And so no shit. That's how I went to flight school, because I thought I might regret it if I never went. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. yeah. So I went down there, and uh, – Got in, you know, did pretty well in AI and stuff. Went to VT3. That back then, that was the Marine Squadron. And, you know, good God, the Hitler's Youth. You know, we had formations every morning, all this type of stuff. And, and I'm sitting going, God, what did I get myself into? It's like finals week every damn day. Oral exam, practical exam. And I'm like, right. this is not fun. But luckily, my roommates, uh, Earl Anderson and Roger Pearson, we lived out at Navarre Beach. No shit. We commuted from Navarre Beach. Holy nice. cow. That's a, that's long, a, way that's to a do long trip every morning. <laughs> And right down the street from us was uh, Rosie Greer. You guys know Rosie. Yeah. Yep. Yep. His old college uh, roommate, Marvin Baggett, so the co- ended up being a Cobra guy. So f- we're all living out there in Navarre Beach, loving, loving life. And, 
you know, get because I need to get away. You know, I'm like, I don't need to be living in the VO2 doing that crap. So no. So now it's like, okay, this this is a nice lifestyle. I like this part. The yeah, sucks, but you know. Anyway, get through. Got jet grades. Pretty excited about that. Uh, heading on to Kingsville, and my on wing was a guy named Captain Dodaro, and uh, he ended up being a uh, he was an A six guy. Ended up going Delta. His dad was at Delta. He said he's waiting for his dad to retire so he can get over there. And he was a great guy. And man, I, he took me under his wing, and that guy just changed my attitude. And just got me motivated to fly, telling me stories about, you know, A6 guy and what they did. And just just a super guy, you know, flipped it on me. And then I went to advanced. And, and guess who one of the instructors uh, was there when I got there? Remember Cal Gurney? Oh, yes. Yeah. He was there as an instructor? <laughs> he was. He was a Bronco guy back then, you know. Moo. Anyway. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So uh, anyway, I got through there and... uh and then there was a big push uh, back then, you know, for uh, uh, the, the Harriers were starting to show up. So a lot of us went to, uh, you know, I went through flight school and, you know, repeat. I just saw, you, you know, you were just sending me that shot at you and Vito over there overseas. Yeah. And, uh, you know, Tom and I went through, uh, uh, you know, all, all the flight training together. So we got the 203. And, you know, when we got the 203, it was that era when probably about a third of your class was. So went through with all those guys. And then, uh, I got lucky that, you know, 542 was getting ready for the first full squadron deployment. 331 went to West Bank with a partial. So they were they wanted to load us up with the lieutenants. So we kind of had that same thing at 542 that, you know, Curly talked about with the lieutenants revolutionary front. Right, um, right. We kind of, we put, and I'll throw the names at you guys. Remember these guys? Um, so we had like uh, Rosie and Beav, uh, me, Sal, uh, turbo pisser, uh, there was, but there's all the two guys. And, uh, if you remember Jamie Richards and Jamie, Richards, yeah. So yeah, I remember those guys from Hawk missile days before I went to flight school, oh, dude, those guys were all ground guys with me in the 84 yeah. year group. And yeah. yeah. And then, so yeah. Then, uh, Jamie obviously, uh, died at, was it was, it was within two weeks arriving at five forty two, wasn't it? Yeah. They were down at page field and yeah. heavyweight stoles and stuff out of a, out of a forward operating base. Um, yeah, you remember that, and then, and then yeah, and he got rushed and didn't set his stow stop right, set a pitch rate, and basically flipped himself over on the go. Yeah, and then and then what happened is uh, pitched out of the fight after that. He's, he's like, I'm done. I've lost too many friends. Yeah, it was that, and uh, I believe it was uh, what did it was we lost. Uh, my roommate was Earl Anderson, if you remember Enos, and we lost yes. Earl on Westpac. And so Dina just lost two of his best buddies. And yep. he's the guy, he walked into the group and turned in his wings. And you know what? I appreciate the empathy and compassion. And they're like, no obligation. We understand. And, and they let him go. And no one, no one ever blamed him. He was a great guy. All right. All respect to a guy that'll, uh, you know, he's like, it's not for me. I got another quick story, which this is what added to it. And some people know this, some people don't. And I may have some of the details off, but he went through primary at Corpus. And are you aware of what happened to him there? No, I'm not, buddy. So this is an amazing story. He goes out on an aerobatic flight in the T-34 Charlie. And you may remember the procedure. I, to this day, call canopy cord, harness, hop, and pop. If you got to get out of it, make the call, open your canopy, disconnect your cords, disconnect your harness, jump out of the airplane, and pop your D-ring to get your chute open. So he gets he goes, call canopy cords. Oh, let me back up. 
they're out on they're doing the aerobatic hop and they get to the point where they need to do the spin they get into the spin and they put in the anti-spin controls and guess what won't come out of a spin no and the instructor goes i've got it you know and he takes the he takes the uh controls and he puts in the anti-spin controls and the airplane won't come out of a spin. It is nose down, spinning towards the ground, and they come through. I think it was 3,000 feet. Time to get out of the airplane. So they call canopy cord, harness, hop. Hops out, and he lands squarely on the right wing. He's now off the wing. He is, yep, he is pinned to the top of the right wing of this airplane in a spin headed to the ground. He does a low crawl to the very end, pushes himself off, pops his parachute, and gets about a swing before his feet hit the water. Dude, I remember that story. Yep. Shit, you know what? I forgot that was. So he'd had two close, or he had a really close call, and he'd lost two of his best friends, you know, pop, yeah. pop. And he, he's like, you know, I've had enough. I, I There's better ways to earn a living. <laughs> yeah, you know. That reminds us. It's, uh, it's, yeah. Hey, you know what? You know what's on this video right now? Three old Harrier guys. Right. Okay, I got to tell it. I got to tell it. What's the definition of an optimist? A Harrier pilot thinks he's going to die of cancer. (laughs) (laughs) Just saying. Just saying. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. Oh, man. Oh, man. So you get out to Westpac. Oh, so let me back up. So, yeah, I ran into Vito, and I got the story from him because I did not know the story of your call sign. But, yeah, so, you know, that's the other thing. This is a small world. I'm sitting at a corner restaurant in a small town called Maastricht in the Netherlands. And walking down the street comes a guy who I was hired with. 28 years ago and standing next to him is Vito. And I said, Hey, you guys want to have a beer or sit and join us? We're on just a little sidewalk cafe. And we got to talking and, Oh, you're a Harrier guy. Yeah. And I know I had run into Vito before at some point, but you know, we were opposite coast. So, sure. but so, uh, yeah, he's like, Oh yeah. Vapor. I said, yeah, we're, we're going to have vapor on this week. <laughs> and, and hence the thing here. So he told me the story of your call sign. How about you do that? I will tell you that. So we're in two Oh three and we're heading out to, uh, Doing a uh, weapons debt out at uh, Fountain. You know, new thing. We're going to go out to do weapons and everything. And we take off on a, a training sortie. And there's a T-Bird in the lead. And it's Ryder. And that dirt floor is yep. in the back seat. So those are the yep. two IPs. And then Dash 2 is Sal. Vito's Dash 3. And I'm Dash 4. So this is. I'm just going to set your audience up right off the bat. You know, I'm a, I'm a knucklehead. So we take off. And uh, guess what I don't raise is Dash 4. I don't raise my flaps. Whoops. So, and as you know, the flaps will blow back once you accelerate. So once you're at speed, they're back. So we get out there, we're doing our bombing runs and, you know, things aren't going really well. Sal had like a Simo run, you know, they got him on that and I got that squared away. Um, (laughs) Uh, Okay. What's a Simo run real quick. Oh, so basically you got two planes basically are rolling in at the target at the same time. It's a simultaneous run. So lead, it rolled in kind of wide. And Sal rode in a little early. So now they're kind of on a Simo run. And that's the responsibility of Dash 2. So they're going to nail Sal for that. Yeah. And Vito goes lost comp. And in the brief, we had a rendezvous point, which was a lake. Well, I'm Dash 4. So you're in the back. you know. So I probably have the most essay of everybody. I see where he's going. So I see lead and Dash 2 head off to the rendezvous. And I see Vito go the other way. He's going to the – there's like two lakes in Fallon. Yeah. He goes to the other one. So I see what's going on. Of course he does. <laughs> so yeah. I'm back there going, 
Well, hell, he's got he's lost calm and he's going the wrong way. So I'm like, I'm not leaving nobody behind. So yeah. I take off and they're like, you know, babe, where are you going? I go, Vito's he's, he's going the wrong way. He's lost calm. I'm gonna go get him. And Mariah says, you, well, you guys better not join up on each other. I'm like, well, what the hell else are we supposed to do? Like, Jesus, yeah. so like, fly out there, get Vito, give him the old, I got the lead, follow me. Yeah. So we swing back. So and signals, know, yeah. Yeah. We're burning a bunch of fuel now, extra. And right as we join up, what do you do? Fuel check. Yep. <laughs> it gets to me. Dirt told me later. He said, it's like fuel check, 1500, 1400, something like 750 or whatever. And he says, and did you say it? I, he said, I look over, I just see his hair going. <laughs> bingo profile. And bingo profile. Me. Yeah. So yeah. I'm heading there. And I remember Ryder says to me, how much do you got? And he says, Stay in the ejection envelope. <laughs> I'm thinking, you know, that's probably not the best thing you want to say to instill confidence in your students. Right. Like a dirt's like vapor, you know, not time. They were I called me something else. He's like, hey, you're gonna make it. You know, blah, 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 blah. Okay, I got it. Yeah. Anyway, when we got done, they're looking at the tape and Ryder's figuring out, trying to figure out, how did he have, you know, like 800 pounds less fuel than we did? Right. And, uh, and he's looking at the run. And as I'm going down the run, it's like, you know, when I tipped in or coming off something, he'd see my angle of attack would go up because as I got slow, the flaps would go down and the <laughs> angle of attack would change. And he was like, you left your flaps down. And I'm, but you know, on the actual run, when you're going fast, it's normal. Right? Yeah, they blow up. Yeah. So oh, that's that was funny. my brilliant maneuver. So we have a kangaroo court at the end of the debt, as you all recall. Yep. And the uh, Spico is the, uh, the grand poobah there. And so Spike was the guy. I, I was either going to be fumes or vapor, and yeah. they uh, they went with vapor. But but I, I do want to add one thing. Uh, you know, they called the black cloud flight. All three of us get it down. You know, they should have been you know knucklehead flight. But anyway, uh, <laughs> Colonel Mayer calls us in. He was a CEO, and he was a great guy. I mean, really, yeah, great guy, a gentleman. And I remember he sat me down, and he kind of asked me some technical questions, and I'd studied. I I knew my stuff, and he, he goes. You hop in the back seat with me tomorrow and let's go on out. And we go out, we do flights. He gives me the plane a few times, makes some runs. Good job. We land. He goes, no sweat. Get back out there. And so I know you talked to uh, the other day, you were talking to that, uh, I forget his name, Ordnance guy who uh, then became a Blackhawk pilot. KO. Oh, uh, KO. Yeah. 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 He was saying I didn't yank his, uh, his CDI call when I was his AMO. But you know what? Colonel Mayer just like, hey, you made a mistake. And he goes, and he, I remember he looked at me. He said, "You'll never get low on gas again." Yeah, now, right? You never, you never did, did you? Let's say well, except that, every uh, time you took off, you were low yeah, on gas. But other than like, well, when I was on the air show circuit, I mean, if you landed before flashers, you didn't optimize your training, uh, right? You know, opportunity Absolutely. or maximize the enjoyment of the crowd. So, right, right. I was just aware of my fuel, right. <laughs> What was our saying? You you only had too much fuel when you were on fire. Is that the? <laughs> yeah, you could never have too much fuel unless you were on fire. Yeah, yeah. that. Yep, and uh, should have dumped before in the target area on that one. <laughs> That's absolutely hilarious. Black cloud flight. That is awesome. Yeah. yeah. I knew yeah, that's Vito where that call sign up, was coming. Yeah, Vito ended up at a five thirteen, and he was after with guys like Bone LeBlanc, and uh, they came ashore in King of Dual Z's. Uh-huh. Joined up with us for a Desert Storm and so on, and Sal ended up five forty two with me, and great guy. That's awesome. Awesome. 
You yeah, guys you made okay. it through the rag, then you uh, 542, then out to Westpac pretty much right away. Yeah, we did. We got back. Uh, they uh, We kind of got out of 203 right at the buildup. So we did the six-month buildup. You guys are familiar with that. They stabilize yeah. the squadron, do the workups, you know, Cold Lake Canada, heavy weapons debt, and then off we go to Westpac. And, and then, you know, you get out there and you remember you flew like you called 400 series sorties, which are the kind of high combat capability sorties, more advanced stuff that raises the squadron's combat capability. And of course, yeah. in that um, is uh, what they kind of used to measure when they started picking and choosing squadrons to go overseas, uh, you know, for Desert Shield and Storm. And I always tell people, it's like, you know, life is timing and, 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 and luck half the time. And I just got lucky to be in a squadron. We got worked up and then we came back and we still had all those 400 series sorties that were current. So they look at the numbers and they go, well, these guys are combat ready and, and send them. And so, you know, that's kind of how that stuff works out. But Westpac was a blast. We did Cope Thunder, Team Spirit, you know, Team Spirit, you know, classic Marine stuff. We're living in tents, in the mud, flying out of expeditionary fields, landing at Chilpo Beach on 56-foot aluminum matting, yeah. sitting there on the APU, getting nine-line briefs, taking off, yeah. shit like yeah. that. People always gave us crap about it. We're talking about being low on fuel in the Harrier. And, Right, you know, right. I'm like, yeah, but we would sit at Chilpo, receive the nine line brief, take off, and go right to your IP. I mean, yeah. we fly a okay, okay. Well, so I hate to do this now. Yeah. We got to go through a whole bunch of acronyms, though. We don't even realize we use them sometimes. But we got Westpac, so right. Western Pacific. That's Japan, Korea. We covered uh, that throughout. Yeah, I know. I'm just. You know, there may be new listeners. Well, but but there's some acronyms that we haven't talked about. That he's That's throwing, true. He's, yeah. he's throwing out acronyms. Oh yeah, like, I, we've talked about the IP before too. But we'll, let's go over that. What the uh, nine line brief is, all those things. So yeah, let's let's back up a little bit. Uh, CAS, close air support. So okay. try to, try and work walk back through some of those if you would please. I'm I, sorry. Well, yeah. sorry about that. Um, no, don't feel. Don't bad. be sorry. People it's not worried. your fault. It's Repeat's fault for not briefing you on the acronyms. Fig and I, Fig and I are learning as you go. We don't know what any of this shit means. All I heard was like, "Vapor, just just don't string together too many f bombs." That's all. Quite, I heard. That's right. Quite, quite fucking frankly, I don't remember half of the acronyms. So I'm asking you what they are, so I can be a little smarter. Okay. Yeah. So the uh, so when the uh, when you're doing a close air support mission, which is basically dropping ordnance. In close proximity to a maneuvering uh, elements on the ground, that's something that the Marine Corps specializes in, and the Harrier in particular. Yeah. Uh, that's our forte. We can forward based uh, right behind the troops, right behind the forward line of troops, and so on. We can get airborne and uh, provide close air support very rapidly because when they need it, they need it. It's not like, can you come do this tomorrow? They're probably under fire. So that was the whole concept of the Harrier. So we're based at a expeditionary airfield, which is not your traditional 10,000-foot runway, because right. that's the target. You want to take out one squadron of aircraft, put one bomb in the middle of a runway. You just had a soft kill on an entire squadron. Can't do that with Harriers. You know, we'll, we'll land anywhere. Um, right. So we're working off these quick mattings. The MWSS boys, Marine Wing Support Squadron guys, would put down matting. We would go out and land on these things. We could get, arm up the planes, get fuel, water, quick intel brief, do a vertical takeoff, and be in the target area, literally in minutes. The nine-line brief is what the forward air controller uses to control the aircraft to basically give us, it provides basically our flight plan to strike a target. In that brief, 
you're going to get where they want us to be coming in from. So we're coming in on the proper angle. For example, if they're going to laser designate, you need to be in what we would call the laser basket so that you're heading in and picking up the reflectivity and so on, or to coordinate maybe with friendly fire mortar or artillery. So they wanted to control our ingress line. So that's part of the brief, the target coordinates, the target description. If they're going to put a mark down for us, whether it's a big uh, white phosphorus smoke, they would put up a big white plume. They will let us know those things. So when we take off after receiving a nine line brief, we have all the information we need to hit that target. The last piece of the puzzle is the timing. Uh, so we get it on time to coordinate with, we would do what we call suppression of enemy air defense and so on. They might be doing, we call front door, back door. They would put artillery in, in front of the target. We would come in after the frag had settled, hit the target as we're coming off, timing it with the artillery to come in behind us uh, to protect our egress and so on. So the timing was very critical on all these types of things. And so we could get all that information instead of orbiting, burning fuel and so on and requiring tanker support. And the footprint of a tanker support is massive. We deployed it just the way we always said we would. We would use forward operating bases. We had quicker response time in the target area and we never used tankers. As a matter of fact, I think Curly told you on his, him and Ajax, they went to the tanker one time and got scolded. Said, don't ever do that again. Wow. Yep. No kidding. Wow. Okay. And then one other thing, real quickly, you talked about Cope Thunder. Uh, what is Cope Thunder? Yeah, Cope Thunder is a, a huge uh, exercise down the Philippines. Um, so we went down there and we brought like our whole squadron down there. We were doing 14 plane launches twice a day. Uh, so the Air Force is working out of Clark Airfield. Um, we're working out of uh, uh, Alangapo there at the NASQB. Oh, God, I remember we had the Hawaiian Air National Guard F-4 guys were flying in support of us. The Air Force 15s, I mean, there was, we were putting, I think there was like 60, 70 aircraft uh, at a time were in the air during these things. And we were the strikers going in. But I'll tell you, the whole point of that was probably some of the best training I ever had. Um, the whole northern country there, like Luzon, was uh, was like a low-altitude training uh, area for us. Yeah. Plus, we got escorts and the, the Hawaiian National Guard guys, they were like most National Guard guys, they know their planes inside and out. They're flying F-4 Phantoms, but they know those planes. They've been flying them for decades. Yeah. Guys. Yeah. It was great having those guys uh, escorting us. And we were going in, really refined our uh, tactics because you had all the uh, simulated uh, threat systems. And when you got done with the mission, you would get a piece of cake, probably a kill on whether or not you got taken out. They could mark exactly where your bombs hit. Uh, we're dropping simulated ordnance and so on, uh, but they could see what was your effect on target. So really great training between Team Spirit, Cope Thunder, and so on. And while we're talking about Cope Thunder, we're going to digress here into uh, <laughs> a was funny story. So you guys remember Dog Straw, right? Yes. Yeah, Dog yes. Straw. Great yes. guy. He was our opso. Break glass in case of war. Yeah. So you see Dog. Dog was a very highly decorated person. Like he had silver stars and stuff. And I remember we kind of tried to get it out of him sometimes, and he just wouldn't say much. Well, finally, Cope Thunder's over. We're at the bar, and we're like, hey, sir, no more beating around the bush. Tell us some of your stories. And so he's like, how'd you get that silver star? So he flew Cobras in the Vietnam. And he says, uh, and he talked, that, that guy, he ejected from an A4, you know, broken neck. And so he kind of talked like this. And so we're like, right. dog, you got to tell us, sir. And he goes, 
well, Grunt's going into the LZ and we had to suppress the LZ. We're like, there's more to it. Come on. Yeah. Yeah. Well, on. we uh, we went Winchester. And Winchester means you've expended all your ordnance. Yeah. We're like, okay. And he looks at us and he kind of goes, I mean everything. We're like rockets, guns. And he goes, everything. And we're like, <laughs> so dog in his wingman suppressing the LZ is the grunts are being inserted, empty their rockets, empty their cannon, reach down, grab their M16 carbines, pop their canopies, shooting down at the VC. Those go empty. They grab their grenades. And he said they used to go in the club and grab the highball glasses, pull the pin on the grenade and see <laughs> eyeball glass <laughs> held the spoon closed when yes. you threw the glass it hit the ground the glass broke the spoon flipped and the grenade would go off they emptied all their grenades and then they pulled out their 38s no no well, shit they did everything short of pulling out their johnsons and pissing on them. <laughs> oh I, I feel like that so should have been that, more than a and, silver star effort oh, yeah. right there right yeah. imagine their cobras were full of freaking holes. Oh, and yeah. They come back and they're like, that's empty. That's empty. Your All your magazines are gone for your M16s. Their service pistol is empty. And and then he said. And the club had no highball glasses left. Exactly. Yeah, right. Right. That <laughs> oh, was the real emergency. Yeah. All right. So oh he tells us, we're like, holy crap, sir. So dog's not buying a drink. So yeah. we're, uh, we're feeding him drinks. Meanwhile, the Mew had come into town, and so they're in port, and uh, the Mew commander's there. Okay, the Mew. Yeah, sorry, you. Sorry. Marine yeah. Expeditionary Unit. Yep. So uh, three ships, 2,000 Marines. Of course, the uh, amphibious ready group of the Navy uh, squadron that uh, transports. Yep. It's and, how we take the beaches. There you go. Hey, there you go, baby. Anyway, Dog is talking to the Mew commander. Dog is sitting there, and the Mew commander is talking to a distinguished gentleman, like in a sport coat and a college shirt, which really doesn't quite fit in at the QBO club, as you can remember. Right. And he hears him talking about, I don't know, the employment of aircraft with the mute, whatever. And the dog walks over there and he goes, ah, you know what the fuck you're talking about? And starts telling him the right way what's really going on. And the, uh, the manager looks at the distinguished gentleman and says, well, sir, what the major means to say is that dog says, hey, wait a minute. I know who you are, but you called him sir, and I don't know who the fuck you are. Who are you? <laughs> I said, I'm General So-and-so, and you're drunk, Major. Oops. So this is about to go south real quick. <laughs> and your point is? It's <laughs> sitting there listening to all this shit, and Rosie, he suddenly runs over to us and says, Get on the stage. We're like, what? There's a little Filipino band playing. We're like, yeah. what? He goes, get on the stage. We're singing happy birthday to dog now. So we're like, okay. Okay. So, man, you're all like five foot nothing. Suddenly all these like six foot plus Marines jump on the stage, grab the mics out of their phone. They're like, what the hell's going on? We're like, play happy birthday now. And we all sing happy birthday. And I guess this general was a, in the process of like ripping dog a new asshole and we start singing happy birthday and Rosie goes back down there and everybody starts singing all of a sudden. 
And of course, Mongoose Seal's going, it ain't dog's birthday. What the hell's going on? <laughs> it is now, boss. So glad we can celebrate your birthday with you. And the general stops and says from That's the ash chewing and goes, well, I see it's your birthday and you're celebrating and you've probably had a little too much to drink, but that's okay. Why don't you go enjoy your birthday and let it go? Holy shit. Well played, gentlemen. Well played. Absolutely. Oh, man. Grabs all the lieutenants and he gets us in a circle and he just goes, just so you know, I owe you motherfuckers and I won't forget. (laughs) (laughs) Now, fast forward two years and if we get to that, I'll tell you about that. Rosie's from Texas. Yeah. And uh, so this is uh, like 92, I think. So we were working hard doing something, and we get a call. Rosie comes one day and goes, hey, man, uh, we got to go see Dog. I'm like, what do we do? Why don't we go to see the ops, uh, operations officer? And he's like, ah, I don't think we're in trouble, but follow me. I'm like, all right. We get in there, and um, Dog's like, hey, I don't forget shit, and uh, you guys have been working hard, and, and I remember what you guys did for me. And he goes, so I'm going to give you a good deal. Got a nice air show here down in Paris. And Rosie whispers to me, let's hold out for another one. <laughs> He's from Texas. He knows Paris, Texas is in the middle of freaking nowhere. Right? And right. Dog looks at us and goes, Paris, Texas. Paris, France, you dumb motherfuckers. <laughs> we dog talks. And we're like, what? I mean, you what? guys know. Nobody had ever gone to the Paris air show. What? No. They've never been there. Oh. But the whole Mac attack post Desert Storm was a big deal. And McDonald Douglas wanted to. Sure, uh, yeah, they want to sell airplanes. Yes. And so. Uh, they get a, they call down and they grab the Cherry Point guys because what's right down the road? Seymour Johnson. What was there? Strike Eagles. You know, another yeah. big attack bird. And uh, so anyway, yeah, that's how me and Rosie uh, went with a skipper and went to the Air, Air Show back in 92. No kidding. That hey, did you guys is put outstanding. Out a, did you do a demo? Did you guys fly a demo? No, nah, we didn't. We uh, we did, it was it was all just static display. They lined up the, the U.S. hardware there. All right. Uh, and uh, it was just, and I, I basically stood in front of the plane. I don't speak a lick of French, and I handed out pins for like you know a week. Yeah, <laughs> but you're a chiseled, good-looking marine standing in front of a marine weapon system, and people just yeah. wanted to get their picture taken with you because there were. This was before cell phones. There were no oh, selfies. They were taking yeah, yeah, thirty-five yeah. millimeter photographs, baby. Oh yeah, right. I gotta tell you, before we before we left, I'm gonna kind of continue on some of the dog stuff in Westpac. <laughs> We had, uh, it, just, it just gets better. So uh, Naida Baru was where like the Japanese, like their, uh, I think it was like maybe where their fighter weapon school was. And so you know, we were you know, kind of a new aircraft in Westpac. And so they wanted to do some DACT, differential air combat training, kind of air to air dogfighting stuff with us. So, yep. so anyway, we, uh, we do a bunch of uh, flying with them. I remember our WTI flat top Monero, he went down there, briefed them up and we got everything coordinated. So we go out there and, and do some good training and, we were flying against their F-4s and F-15s. And, and afterwards, the Japanese, you know, being v- very gracious, invited us down to Naida Baru, uh, wanted to thank us in person, gift exchange, and so on. And then uh, they wanted to take us out to uh, uh, kind of like an outdoor, like a hot tub springs type of thing. Which sure, yeah, sure. Pretty expensive, and it was a very nice gift. So anyway, so we go to that, and it's there's like a half dozen of us. Our dog was there. It's like me, Sal, and Flattop, and some other guys. And anyway, so we, we go to this like little resort place. And you go in and you get undressed. You got to take a shower first because they want to make sure you're clean. And then you walk <laughs> out and they give us this, like this little towel. And I'm like, 
man, this thing doesn't fit around my waist. What are you supposed to do with it? So we're kind of throw it over our shoulder. Apparently, you're supposed to hold that in front of yourself and cover your junk. Yeah. Little modesty here, lads. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> It's a loincloth for you big gringo guys. That's right. Japanese guys can tie it twice around their waist, but for you guys, it was a loincloth, like Tarzan. So we walk out, and uh, so they got in the background, there's always like little stones, little waterfall, like little beautiful nature thing, and it's heated up, and little geisha girls right there give you little back rubs and stuff. And uh, so I walk up, I see this this round tub, and these two elderly Japanese guys are sitting in there, and I'm like, oh, maybe this little hot tub thing, and I got, you know, I'll give it a shot. I'll step in this thing. And my toe hits that water. 400 degrees Fahrenheit or 450? Like minus. Oh, yeah. Degrees. Oh, the other it's, way. It's oh, the no ori- kidding. The original Dude. cold plunge. And as my oh. toe hits that, I look at these two Japanese guys, and they're looking at me like <laughs> South American <laughs> analyst. And I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm, going. I'm stepping in. I'm going in now. Hey, suddenly, the loincloth is plenty large. I'm going in. Dude, bingo. Testicles I, went up underneath your tonsils. Yeah, I, I can't talk. I got two freaking balls in my throat. And, uh, and, and not in a bad way. You know what's going through my mind right now, right? I'm like, you will peel my frozen body out of this freaking tub of water. Yeah. Before I let those dudes show me up. Right. I sit down there and I look at them and they look at me and I'm like, dude, I can I do this all day. I get out of this before you guys do. <laughs> and I'm sitting there and they're looking at me and I'm looking at them and I just kind of glance at my fingers like, yeah, you know, clean my fingernails. And I notice that they're, you know, solid purple. And I'm like, yeah, okay. It's frostbite hasn't kicked in yet, but you know, I'm like, I'm on know, my way is, to hyperthermia. Oh, is, I'm like, yeah, I, I'll be Leonardo DiCaprio in a frozen freaking block of ice as they finally pull my body out before I will get out and give them. <laughs> and so finally, they mumble something in Japanese and get up. And I'm just like, yes, good freaking want. Yeah. <laughs> now, I think Salerson walks by and goes, hey, dude, why don't you join us over here? And I go, I would, but I can't move my freaking legs right now. <laughs> I can't. I can't I feel anything out. below my tits. I can't feel anything. <laughs> and so he kind of helps me out. I said, "Now we're going to pretend like we're just buddies, and I'm going to walk with my arm around you because I can't walk right now." Feel <laughs> that fucking hot water. <laughs> oh water. God, I'm crying. Is he two old Japanese dudes looking at me? Just, just smile and laugh, and like, and just say, "Man." Is it me or is it hot? <laughs> yeah. Woo. Jeez. So anyway, we get in there. We do the whole little hot tub thing. And then that night, we were at the bar. And we're starting to drink, starting no, to you know, have fun. And the Japanese guys start doing like bar tricks. And the one guy, he's kind of looking at, and there's a whole not a lot, not a whole lot of bilingual stuff going on here. So uh, anyway, we're kind of at our end. They're kind of at their end. The skipper's intermixing with their CO. Mongoose likes to have a nice glass of wine, and he's a very well-read guy. He's probably talking about what Musashi Miyamoto, the reading the Five Rings with this guy, and talking yeah. about all that stuff. And right. anyway, Japanese, you know, young guys come down, and guy looks at us, and they grab the toothpicks, and dude like builds the Eiffel Tower out of freaking toothpicks. And we're looking at him like, yeah. And he's kind of like, like, what are you gonna build? And like me and Sal just like order another beer, and dogs looking at us. And, and the guy kind of says, where are you from? And I'm like, well, I'm from California, up near San Francisco. 
And the dude proceeds to build like the Golden Gate Bridge out of freaking toothpicks. And I'm like, and the dog looks at us and goes, you guys got to do something. What the fuck can you two do? <laughs> and so Sal and I look at each other and uh, we're like dog tag chains. Oh, no. 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 So, Here's a kind of a famous trick that some skill. I know where you're going. Uh, uh, parents out there, uh, don't let your children try this. This is for professionals only. Professional. So you uh, unhook your dog tag chains, and you drop one chain down through your nostril. Yep. And then you feed it down your throat, and you have to get it down a few inches because you can't. Yeah. You got to pull it out your mouth, and you you got to get it. So it's got to go down your throat a few inches. You can cough it out and pull it through. Yep. Now your pain is going in a nostril, down your throat, and out your mouth. So he and I turn around. We're in the Japanese, like, what are they doing? And, and we get it down. And then, of course, you got to hook it together. Yep. And then we turn back around, and Sal like grabs a chain and moves it back and forth with the dog chains traveling. And dude, you could have seen like. 20 Japanese chins hit the freaking bar. <laughs> and in the background, all I could hear was, no wonder we lost the war. Right? <laughs> right? So, so hey, just, oh, I, I know, I know, I, I'm picturing this, Vapor, I'm picturing this, but just so, just so we can verbalize this, you guys connected the dog t- tag chains together Yes. So it was a continuous loop between your nose and mouth, yeah. and you were spinning it back and forth between yep. the two of you. So it's in my nose, out my mouth, into Sal's mouth, out his <laughs> nose, into my nose. And, and then with the dog tags hanging in the middle, you could move it back and forth and see the move. Yeah. Prove that it was hooked up. Yeah. And they just yeah. not know what to think looking at us. Dog yeah. is dying laughing, and Mongoose is absolutely befuddled with embarrassment. Oh, I'm sure he's mortified. <laughs> yeah. I'm absolutely mortified. Like, oh my God. And, Love it. And we're like, so yeah. what you guys faced on Iwo Jima. Yeah. This this is why you lost. Yep. Yeah, man. <laughs> the guy in our squadron that used to do that uh, practically every Friday night was Sleeper, as I recall. Yeah. 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 Who, who was one of our very uh, first guests on this podcast. Yeah. And sleeper's perfect call sign for this guy because uh, you yeah, would never know it. You would not associate him, him with the chain with the uh, dog tag chain trade yeah. at all. No, like I said, yeah. it, professionals only. Uh, right, exactly. Try this as an amateur. Oh my god! Well, I, I need a bit to catch my breath. I'm I am howling. Tears are running out of my eyes. I, I know. I know. I, you know what? I, I expected great stories. I did not expect an ab core workout. Oh. And I'm, I'm pleasantly surprised. And I want to say thank you for that, Vapor. Absolutely. Um, well, I, I, I do have a couple of questions. Let me do this then. Hold those questions. Let's talk about some of the people that helped bring the show to us. And we'll be back in about three minutes. And then we'll move on into the Gulf War as well. Thank you to the folks who helped bring us this show every week. In the hustle and bustle of modern life, finding the time and energy to cook a delicious and nutritious home-cooked meal can be a challenge. Enter HelloFresh, a game-changer in the culinary scene that I've had the pleasure of trying. My wife loves it because they do all the meal planning and the shopping for the correct ingredients and provide ready-to-prepare meals right to your door. Now, two nights a week, we eat a great home-cooked meal without the hassle of planning and preparing a menu and shopping for the exact ingredients. 
One of the first things that struck me about HelloFresh is the incredible variety of food choices available. The options span multiple cuisines, dietary preferences, and creativity levels, making every mealtime an exciting culinary adventure. Whether you're craving Italian pasta, Asian stir-fry, or a classic American burger, there's a good chance you'll find it on their menu. And with their commitment to high-quality ingredients, you can be confident that you're refueling your body with the best. When it comes to preparation, HelloFresh truly shines. Each meal kit arrives with pre-portioned ingredients, eliminating the need for measuring and reducing waste. This also means less time spent preparing and more time savoring the delicious results. Furthermore, each kit provides suggestions for adjusting the flavors to your taste, empowering you to personalize each dish. But what truly sets HelloFresh apart is the easy-to-follow recipe cards. Detailed yet simple instructions transform cooking into a stress-free, enjoyable process accompanied by clear, step-by-step photos. These recipe cards make the cooking process almost foolproof. Yes, even I did it without a mistake. Regardless of your kitchen experience, these guides instill a sense of confidence that you're on the right track every step of the way. In essence, HelloFresh strikes a perfect balance between convenience and gourmet cooking. It brings the joy of preparing and consuming a wide range of delicious meals right into your kitchen with minimal fuss and maximum satisfaction. Whether you're a seasoned home cook looking for new inspirations or a busy professional wanting a quick yet wholesome meal, HelloFresh could be the fresh breath of culinary air you've been looking for. So what do you do now, you ask? Well, it's simple. To get the great deal, go to HelloFresh.com slash SoThereIWas16 and use the code SoThereIWas16 for 16 free meals plus free shipping. That's right. You heard right. 16 free meals by going to HelloFresh.com slash SoThereIWas16 and use code SoThereIWas16 for 16 free meals and free shipping. HelloFresh, America's number one meal kit. I'd like to take a moment and tell you about another podcast that should be on your list called Flight Safety Detectives. The weekly episodes cover topics in aviation safety like no other program out there. Hosts John Golia, Greg Faith, and Todd Curtis share their accumulated knowledge from a combination more than a century of aviation experience. Greg is a former NTSB investigator, and John is a former board member who has been named as a living legend in aviation. Todd, a former airline safety engineer at Boeing and a pilot. If you're a fan of aviation, which I believe you are if you're listening to this podcast, listen to their podcast or watch episodes of the Flight Safety Detectives on the YouTube channel. You'll get behind-the-scenes details from headline-grabbing accidents and lesser-known accidents. Go behind the hype and understand the facts. Learn how to be a better pilot, mechanic, or maybe just a more savvy passenger, which we need more of. Flight Safety Detectives have shared aviation safety lessons and fascinating stories related to the Boeing 737 MAX crashes, which was very important to me, uh, general aviation accidents from around the globe, celebrity pilots, and much more. You'll enjoy their unvarnished commentary as they hold everyone accountable for flying safety. I was able to catch my breath there a little bit. I feel like I've been doing yeah. crunches. Yeah, a whole bunch Sit of ups. core workout. Like That's I just finished a PFT. Thank you. Thank you, Vapor. <laughs> Thank you for that. That was fantastic. I, I think it's only going to get better, too. I could be wrong. I, but <laughs> So, uh, holy cow. I, I don't even yeah. kind of lost my train of thought, really. Well, you said you had some questions before we went to our break. but Yeah, uh, so, so, that was, so that was Westpac. 
What year did you guys Westpac? That was 90, uh, 90 yeah, we, right? Uh, we, uh, 89. We took off in 89. 89. And, uh, we got back in uh, June. We, it was like December, like just the tail end. Uh, so 89 to 90 was, was our Westpac. Like I said, um, 331 went there with a partial squadron. So we were the first uh, squadron deployment. And then 231 came in behind us. And that's why when you talk to Curly, they were in Westpac. Right. As a shield kicked off and went straight from there. Uh, all the way across that flew around the world to go to a freaking war, you know? Yeah. So was, uh, was, was Pisser in your squadron? Yeah. We and, were in that, uh, it was that group of lieutenants with, it was uh, Jamie Richards, Dana Duff. Then it was uh, Beave and Rosie uh, came in and then it was uh, uh, me and Sal. And then after that, it was uh, Pisser and a uh, turbo. And that was di- disco. Was he, was he, uh, he, he, he was, was older. Yeah, he was he was one of those guys like him and Strut uh, and Woody. They were in that group that when they got out of flight school um, or out of TBS, flight school was backed up. They all went and did like yes. a ground tour, and then they that's came. Right. Yeah. yeah, okay, that's that's okay. what happened to me too. And yeah, then, yeah. but I wound up doing three years before I made it to flight school, so that's oh, how I didn't get back till ninety. Yeah, oh, dude, I didn't know you did three years. Holy yeah, God. I did Hawk missiles for three years before I got to uh, flight school. Yeah. Those guys only did like a year, dude. You had a long, yeah. you had a long journey, man. Yeah, it was, it, it kind of sucked, but you know what? I, in some ways, it worked out well for me. Uh, I was able to augment. Not that that worked out because I wound up leaving when they tried to send me to the Pentagon. <laughs> <laughs> but I was able to augment all before all my eighty-four uh, flight bubbles because they didn't have a year of observed fitness reports, and I did. Oh shoot! So, there you go. So, so I was able to augment right away and come in, and that, that worked out really well. And I had a pretty good job, and I was going to make it a career. And then they offered me Pentagon IG staff, and I went, eh. Repeat, uh, you yeah, need to talk guess. about augment. What? Uh, yeah, I don't I think we've ever talked about that. What is yeah, it? You know so, yeah. so Remember, I was a monitor, and I'm going to tell yeah. the audience. Augmentation, you get in the Marine Corps, you're commissioned as a reserve officer, and if you don't augment into the regular Marine Corps, your career, I don't care – who you are, how great you are, your career is going to be over. And augmentation was extremely competitive. So when you hear that repeat got augmented, what that means is he was uh, in our performance evaluations. He came out as a very top percentile officer. Otherwise, you didn't get augmented. So that is a testament uh, to you, repeat. Yeah. You were able to augment into the regular Marine Corps because it was a challenge. It was a challenge, and then it was so much of a challenge that 84 ground literally closed before I ever had a, enough fitness reports to even apply. Oh and God. so when I got to go to 84 Air, when I shifted to flight school, that worked That worked out well for me. But, yeah, I forgot you were the monitor. Um, that oh, that must have I been remember. a cool job. But it was your successor who tried to send me to the Pentagon. And oh. as fate would have it, some Oingo. 20 years Oingo. later. Yeah, Oingo. No, no, it was between Oingo and you, or oh. it might have been your predecessor because this oh. is this was not late '94. Obi Obi Wan uh, Schwan. Yeah, he was yeah. A, uh, a Hornet guy. Later, yeah. he was an A six guy. Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, yeah. anyway, he he's the one that tried to send me to the Pentagon, and his fate would have it. Some twenty years later, uh, we're flying <clears throat> through the dark of night up to Anchorage, Alaska, and we get to chatting, and he's my fo. <laughs> No, yeah. How about that? Yeah. And uh, he had a pretty good career, but he, he wound up taking the heat and uh, and jumping out when uh, some things went on. That if, when you're the CO, 
you're you're ultimately responsible for everything. So even though things happened that were beyond his control, the buck stops here, baby. And and so that's true. Hey, yeah, here's, yeah. here's a quick one on that. So yeah. I had orders to uh, uh, so Scratch Jones. He had been a monitor and Venom yeah. Jones. So Venom Jones yep. is now the group commander, and Scratch Jones is my squadron commander. And I remember talking to him, so you know, what should I do? He says, go. I said, I, I, I like flying the plane, so I want to get back into the squadron. And so the quickest way to do it is a factor AWS. I go, I'll do one of those two, and then I'll be right back here you know, within a year. Yeah. And, um, so anyway, I, I get AWS, and then one night, you know, it's like a Friday. Everybody's ready to head over the Dirty Shame, which was the club where everybody right. had a great time but they, with great memories. Anyway, yeah. we can do an entire show on antics at the Shame, but – all right. I would, you don't have enough airtime for that. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> so Scratch is like, hey, Vapor, uh, yeah, let's go up to the group. Uh, let's go up to see the group CO. And I'm like, you know, I'm, I'm nuts. I'm like, what? I'm not, I'm not drinking buddies with Venom. You know? Yeah. What yeah. are we going up there for? Oh, come on. We, we want to talk to you about some things. And I'm like, uh, so we walk up to the office. Yeah. You walk into Venom's, and this is the group commander. You don't yeah. talk to the group commander. No. He's a full colonel. Yeah, there's you got a commanding officer betwixt you and him. Captains, yeah, captains don't go talk to the group commander for no. fun. <laughs> no. you, you don't. You're not drinking, no. buddies. Yeah. We're not at all. Ever. <laughs> you know, he, I mean, great, great guy, but we're not at that yeah. level. No. And uh, anyway, we walk in the office, <laughs> and Venom comes around his desk and, "Hey, Vapor, how you doing?" Shakes my hand and oh, brings boy. me over to the big comfortable chair, and I Here look over, scratch and sit. On a little three-legged wooden stool in the corner, and I'm sitting in the big chair, and I'm, <laughs> what is going on here? Yeah. Uh oh. Yeah. I get. Yeah. Can I you get feel it coming? Yeah. Oh, hey, vapor. You know, uh, we all worked at Manpower. It, it'd really help out the community if we got you know a hairy guy into Manpower, and you're already on your way up there, and blah blah blah, and, and I'm just my eyes are getting big, like <laughs> what? Like no. What? Well. The first criteria to be a monitor is, right? No. That you don't want the job. Oh, cool. well, of yeah. course. Yeah. Anybody yeah. ever volunteers for the job, they are an immediate X. <laughs> You're yeah. not no, because they know you got an agenda. So they yes. want to do this like like no. me, terrified. Yeah, no. no. You've got to be kidding me. No. And uh, <laughs> so they're talking to me about thinking beyond self and helping out the community and all this yeah. stuff. Yeah. So real quick, let me jump in. The monitor is the guy who assigns, and you were the company grade monitor. Yeah. You assigned all the pilots that were captain and below to their next job. You sent them to flight school. You sent them fixed to fact tours. You sent them to yeah, fix, fixed wing, wing monitor. Wing That's right. Yeah. yeah, fixed wing aviation. Yeah. But he, you, you were the jobs guy for captains and below that flew airplanes in the Marine Corps, fixed wing airplanes. So what? Well, it, and you were either loved or hated. I'm sure. Yeah. Did I ever <laughs> No, um, hey, however, you, I think you I, did to me. I think you gave I me orders in, to 203. I was in Kingsville uh, as an IP when you came down and oh. we set up a brief. You gave uh, you briefed all the Marines yeah. on uh, on follow on stuff. And then, then, then oh, yeah. the, all the instructors yeah. stayed back. And there was a bunch of uh, A6 guys that yeah. were lobbying to get any stay flying. You need a night I with think. my wife. What is it yeah. going to take there? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and, and you were dealing with, and this is, I, I didn't envy you because you were dealing with guys bailing out of the Marine Corps left and right. This was um, 1995, yeah. probably, well, 1996. conversion. The A6s are going away. The Broncos right. are going away. The RF4s are going away. And these poor guys are like, they're going, where am I going? And before the Marine Corps ran a transition conversion board, it was just like 
guys are calling me saying, dude, where am I going? And so what we basically did was we would get hold of CEO and it's like, if this guy is going to represent the Marine Corps well, he's not bitter, we're going to get him to the training command and keep him flying and, and just say, dude, then at least you get hours, you get, you'd be an airline pilot, something like that. If if the guy was like super bitter and, and would be poison around lieutenants, we're like, yeah, we're not going to send you down there. And then finally, we were we were kind of raising it up our chain saying, look, something official needs to be done. And they finally ran a transition conversion board to, to pick the guys that were going to go. Because your only choice is where you're going to go Prowlers, Harriers, or Hornets. Everything yeah, right. else, A6s, uh, you know, R4s, Broncos, they're all going away. Right. And that was, that was kind of a difficult time for guys that their plane's going away. And, they, and they're like, what am I going to go do? Right. That yeah, was that rough. Was, anyway, so. Big time. Yeah. Like no so, so did you do EWS and then go to headquarters or you went straight to headquarters? VFR direct. Nice. Good yeah. Lord. And so when I picked mine, uh, I actually, uh, Oingo, great guy. Yeah. Again, he, uh, I went to the rag with Oingo. Yeah, he, yep. he, Oingo's a good guy and he, he did not want the job, which of no. course <laughs> brought right. him right to the top. Right. As a, a, yeah. He had a good exactly. record, a really good reputation with people that knew he was a good guy. And I'm like, Oingo, I'm sorry. Um, but, you're a good guy, and and you don't want the job. <laughs> you just hit the new criteria. You're, you're it. Yes. Yeah. So solve solve the question. The the million dollar question. Did you cut yourself outstanding orders, or are you allowed to cut your own orders? You do cut yourself your own orders, and the kind of thing in the shop is is kind of an unwritten thing is don't cut yourself some good deal because you're going to lose the shop's going to lose credibility. Like like if I cut myself orders to the you know, Spanish exchange tour. I, I mean, it would, the, the shop would lose credibility. I would, I would look like a turd in the face of everybody's eyes. Yeah, so yeah. really the thing we do, cause you got to live with what you told people. And if you came out of the fleet as a captain, you need to go back to the fleet. So I just cut myself yeah. orders right back to cherry point. And uh, I was, I was lucky because uh, I got in and uh, uh, you know, the radar nine attack was showing up and too tall, was the CEO of 231 and, you know, too tall, rest in peace. But he did lose yeah. him to cancer not too long ago. Right. And a great guy. And, and I talked to him. He said, yep, Vapor, I'll take you down here and uh, we'll get you ready. And then I end up uh, really fortunate. Uh, the first uh, Harrier 2 Plus debt with guess who? Curly and Bar. They, they kind of <laughs> you know, loaded it because you know, normally there's one major, but it was the first deployment of the new plane. And uh, so Slam Arnold was the OIC. Then they wanted to get some more majors, so they grabbed me, Curly, and Bart. And then uh, a second tour, like Captain uh, Z-Man, is on it. And then they, we grab uh, uh, some new guys, uh, like okay. z And then we had Gramps. Um, and then it was a Cuddles Denson. God bless him, may he rest in peace. And uh, a Poppy Bratisich and uh, Oz. Okay. That made out okay. that debt. And that was a good debt. We did, we did some neat stuff and save that for another time. Oh, that's outstanding. Well, well so let's, let's back up then a little bit. Yeah, and, let's talk about the Gulf War. Yeah. So you you did the monitor shop after be uh, after becoming a combat veteran. Yeah. Left, uh, what was that like? Well, we, we got back uh, from Westpac, and um, we got back in June, and we took off in August. So we uh, the single guys never even got to go on leave because when you get back, the married guys with kids get them out on leave, do their leave period, and then and then he invaded. Uh, uh, Saddam invaded uh, Kuwait. So August of ninety. August of ninety. Yeah. yeah, and so they kind of stabilized things, and so I, I never even went on. A couple of single guys, we never even made it 
to go on leave after coming back from uh, Westpac. And uh, we got the warning order to go. And so I just remember we flew out like at 11 o'clock at night in August. And uh, some brilliant guy said, hey, we want you to land in uh, Rota, Spain, which is where the Spanish Harrier base is. Because the sun's coming up, it'll wake you up as you land. I'm like, yeah, yeah we <laughs> off at 11 o'clock at night and we're freaking tired. Brilliant. So really, anyway, yeah, I remember this, you know, flying across and that we had some interesting characters in that squadron. Let's just stop for a moment and talk about stereotypes. Stereotypes are actually not a fantasy. They actually are based on factual things that occur over right. and over, which leads you to have a stereotype of a person. So, for example, maybe West Virginians. So we got a guy <laughs> named Lyman Denord. Now, the name in itself, Lyman, right? That's a nice West Virginian name. Sure. And um, so we're taking off to go. And, of course, we're putting on the dry suits. And uh, the only guy that's not putting on the dry suit, by the way, is the only RAF Harrier pilot that ever flew in the war, which is Flight Lieutenant Andy Dakin. Great guy, by the way. Great pilot. And anyway, so as we're getting dressed out, we noticed Andy's the only guy not putting on the dry suit. We're like, Andy, you know better than anybody in North Atlanta's cold as shit. Why aren't you putting on your dry suit? He goes, because I'm the only guy that's got enough brains to know all this thing is going to do is extend my misery half an hour while you're waiting four hours for the fucking C-130. So he goes, I ain't wearing it. I'm like, good point. Yeah. And good point. <laughs> yeah. Skipper's like, well, he's RIF. I really can't tell him what to do. So here we go. Hence, hence our theme song, <laughs> Crossing the North Atlantic at Night. <laughs> so anyway, Lyman's about halfway across, and uh, he's got the urge to go. And he goes, I just sat there to myself, and I thought, I thought to myself, Seth, I can be miserable for the last four hours, or I can just get it over with. So Lyman uh, turns the dry suit into the poopy suit and sure. uh, lands on the other side. And and that thing zipped across your chest. And as soon as the plane captain unzipped it, you <laughs> came out. Oh, poor guy over. He's oh, like, shit. holy shit, sir. Literally, holy shit. They <laughs> <laughs> get the poopy suit off, turn it inside out, wash that thing out. And, of course, he just threw away his flight suit and everything. <laughs> we were in Rota. So we got some of our Spanish Harrier brethren that, you know, we all trained those guys at Cherry Point. So we know right. a bunch of them. And they got him. They got him a flight suit that he could use and uh, continued on. But anyway, so, yeah, when you hear <laughs> yeah. about West Virginia, it kind of becomes like, yeah, yeah. There's, there's a little bit of stereotypes. Anyway, oh. so we get into uh, we get into Saudi Arabia and uh, we're one of the first groups there. We're, we're literally living in. Yeah, it's it's classic Marine Corps expeditionary stuff. We're literally living in tents. It's it's summer. It's 120 degrees in a damn shade. The maintenance guys, I mean, they're getting burned just touching the planes, but they're doing a phenomenal job keeping the planes up. And we're living in tents. The Air Force guys, they got to get there. They put them in barracks with air conditioning and air conditioned tents because their maintenance guys couldn't couldn't work on the plane safely. And we're like, really? Our maintenance guys are doing just fine with it, and so are our pilots, by the way. Anyway. So we're there for a while. Um, we're all in uh, Shaky's uh, base in Bahrain because there's a big causeway that connects it, uh, connects Bahrain to Saudi Arabia. And we didn't know if Saddam was going to attack south. And if he would have attacked south, um, we could have always, always blown the causeway and kind of been safe out there. And that's why they chose it. And then finally, yeah. the 7th Med went ashore. They, they dropped the uh, 82nd in first. But the 82nd, remember, nothing against them. But if you get there fast, you get there light. And what I mean by light is no logistics. So they don't have a lot of food, water ammunition. So not to be negative, we kind of call them the speed bump division. I mean, they were going to not, they were going to do much. 
and with an armored assault, an airborne unit just isn't going to last. When the 7th Met came ashore, that's a Marine Expeditionary Brigade, they've got armor, artillery, and they got our close air support behind them. That's when that's when things were safe, when they got ashore. Then another Med came in, and they put in a blocking position. And at that point, we forward deploys up to the uh, King Abdulaziz Naval Base, which was a soccer stadium, and, of course, the Royal Family has to be able to fly in. So there's a little runway there. And the Marine Wing Support Squadron folks built in a bunch of that AM2 matting I talked about, which is uh, matting to build uh, more runway, taxiways, stuff like that. Uh, actually, we didn't have taxiways, just kind of parking spots, some pads, yeah. and yeah. Uh, built all that. And so uh, we were at the Desert Shield for five months, which, by the way, kind of sucked. We just sit in the desert not knowing what's going to happen. And then uh, then Desert Storm kicked off on uh, January 17th. And before that, General Boomer, who is the MEF commander, Marine Expeditionary Force, we got 96,000 Marines there. People forget we had half a million U.S. Uh, personnel there, and we had about 90% of the combat power of the Marine Corps, uh, 96,000 Marines there. And General Boomer comes down, and he's talking to the Harry Group, and he said, all right, you guys are my long-range artillery. Uh, I, I don't want you guys to fly in initial uh, stages of the war because I need you to be our close air support as we advance. Because as we, uh, the Iraqis were very good with um, building kind of an impenetrable barrier, which they'd proven in. in uh, uh, oh, fighting Iran. Yeah. Fighting Iran, exactly. Thank you. So they yeah. were very good at this. And uh, so our casualty estimates were pretty high. So he said, I'm going to hold you guys in as we advance forward out from under our artillery umbrella and into their artillery umbrella. You guys need to be, uh, you know, taking their, their guns out. Because um, as, as everybody professional knows is that obstacles don't stop you. They just channelize you. And the division yeah. are going to blow a couple holes through narrow, like, you know, corridors through these uh, minefields and stuff. And now when you're concentrated in the middle like that, Enemy artillery can rain down on you and, and you know, make things very unpleasant. Right. So anyway, so we're sitting there going, okay, we're going to sit alert. And the January 17 kicks off. And uh, next thing you know, we get woken up. I'm on the alert crew. I'm the, I'm the CO's wingman. So it's Mongoose and me. And then uh, member uh, Lovey, uh, Major Lovejoy. And then yep. uh, he's this other uh, section lead. And then Beef is his wingman. So we get woken up, get called in. And, and uh, one of the caveats was, is that the Marines will hold the Harriers back unless marine units come under fire and so we get the das calls down because there's a marine unit under fire it's a forward operating base mm -hmm. and it was like an isr group this commanded by this guy named lieutenant colonel barry isr isr okay Dask, isr yep sorry uh, yep I intelligence surveillance reconnaissance and so right. he's using marine recon he's got army sf he's actually got navy seals and they are up there probing the lines, looking for weak spots. SEALs are obviously handling the stuff in the sea, Marine Recon, Army SF, looking at other places. And he's got a command post up there. He's got eight, four places. And so when the war kicks off, the Iraqis start shelling him. And, and he calls in uh, for air support. And two A-10s show up. Um, and their ROE is not to go below 10,000 feet, and there's an SAA threat. So they'd show up and go away. because SA8, SA8. SA uh, yeah, uh, Surface-to-air missile, and it was one of the Soviet uh, systems. Um, and so uh, it, was, it was kind of a high-threat, a higher-threat system, and, and because they all set an ROE rules of engagement that they would not go below about 10,000 feet, that kind of puts you in the uh, part the of the threat yeah. envelope for 
anti-aircraft artillery. Uh, Thank you. Man portable air defense systems, uh, the, the kind of handheld ones, and some of those things. So, so they don't go. They don't go in. Uh, there was kind of a cloud layer and some smoke in there, and and that's what caused it. So, um, the direct air support center, the DASC, had called down to us and say, launch these guys. And so, an OV-10 Bronco is, is a two seat plane, and uh, they're up there. And a matter of fact, the guy in the back seat was a Chief Warrant Officer Hunter, who was the guy that got shot down was a POW. So, this guy Captain Curry in the front, Hunter in the back, and so we get launched to go up there. So it's a mongoose is a lead. I'm dash two. Lovey's three. Beef is four. We got a mixed loadout of uh, four Mark 83s, uh, sidewinders and guns, or four Mark 20 rock eye, which is a cluster munition. Each each uh, cluster munition will open up and has 247 sub munitions inside it, which are very good for anti-armor and things like that. Uh, and then, of course, uh, winders and, and the guns. So our guns, are, it's a 25 millimeter a gun, second most powerful behind the A-10. Um, we're carrying uranium de- depleted rounds and so on. Uh, which Mark, will- Mark 83. Oh, Mark 83 is a thousand pound general. Thank you. Bomb. Sorry. Yep. So uh, I'm carrying a four Mark 83s, two winders, a gun, and uh, we take off. And I, I'm like, man, we're we're really going. I didn't. I thought we were going to be held up, and here we go. So taking hey, off. Uh, vapor. Sorry to interrupt. Winder. Winder. Oh, sorry. Uh, <laughs> Aim nine sidewinder is a heat seeking air to air missile. Thank you. Uh, in the early stages, we there was still an air threat from the Iraqis. Uh, they had a lot of pretty effective air force, you know, at least against the Iranians. And it's it's day one, so we haven't taken them out yet. We don't we do not have air dominance or air superiority yet. Uh, we haven't right. announced that. So the Harriers we're flying with our air defense systems as well. Yeah. Um, so anyway, we we take off. We go uh, out over the water, so we're feet wet. We talk to the OV-10 Bronco. Said, "Yep, we got artillery units firing on a Marine outpost." I uh, said, so we'll mark it with the Willie Pete. They didn't need to. We could see the guns firing. So we, we're, we're under, we're at about 8,000 feet now, feet wet. And we can look. Under, we, under an overcast, right? Yeah. 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 Kind of highlighting ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. And Willie Pete is white phosphorus. It's a highly, it, it's used to mark targets. White, white flame smoke burns at about 4,000 degrees, whatever it is. <laughs> Hot. Yeah. Hot. Yeah. The Iraqi artillery, uh, the way they'd set their batteries up, uh, it would be like in a V formation. The V would be pointing towards the enemy. So it's a V right. pointing south. Um, they put their, when they put their artillery piece in, they put them, they use classic Soviet uh, tactics and they put the guns about 30 to 40 meters apart. So in our weapons system, we can select how many bombs we want to drop at a time and the interval between them in depth. So we can set in, if, if there's two targets like, 100 meters apart, we can put in, all right, I'm going to drop four bombs, two at a time, with an interval of 100 meters. And if you put your, we had a thing called a CCIP, constantly computed impact point, we could put that bomb cross, like in the middle, and then two of the bombs will go, it's like I said, 100 meters. So 50 would, you know, two would go 50 meters long, 50 meters short, and we could set up our system like that. So it was a very good system. So I set mine up to Okay, I'm going to drop four Mark 80, um, 83s, 1,000 pounds. So 2,000 pounds of bombs per artillery piece. I'll put them 30 to 40 meters apart because that's what it looks like, how they spaced them. And so we come in, and uh, we're in a four-plane combat spread formation, which means we're one mile of beam. So Mongoose and I are a, a one mile of beam each other. And then about, you know, maybe about one and a half miles behind us is Lovey and Beave. Again, they're one mile of beam each other. And so we did like a split attack. 
So we would each go down a leg of that V uh, for those artillery batteries as they're going off. So Mongoose comes across. He comes in first. He's a lead. He drops his ordnance. I come in across, drop mine. Probably gone through our combat checklist a few times, you know, making sure your weapons are armed up and everything's selected right and, and so on. I guess it's kind of the real deal. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Don't want to look stupid in the uh, bombing pattern era. <laughs> exactly right. Yeah, what you do. And uh, it's kind of funny. People look at me, they ask, what were you thinking? And I'll tell you, and you guys know, you get so focused on the task at hand, you don't really think about anything else. It's like, yeah. this is what I've been trained to do. You're yeah. very focused, heads on a swivel. You're going through your job. You're clearing the six-year wing. You're looking for threats, timing, target uh, acquisition, you know, weapons, delivery parameters, all this stuff. You, you're consumed as a single-seat attack pilot. You don't have time to be thinking about emotions and shit like that. You go into autopilot. And so yeah. some people ask you, I like, want you scared to like, you don't even think about that. Didn't you have know? time to be scared. Yeah. Right? You, know, Stuff to do. you know, the biggest, one of the biggest motivators, you guys know this, it's like fear of failure. And it's like, yeah. I, it's like, I don't want to let anybody down. And, don't want to let my buddies down. Yeah. If I let my wingman down, I don't call his missile. Repeat, right. you freaking right. nailed it, dude. Man. You don't yeah, let down your brother Marines. And this yeah. is our job. I don't want to let down my brother Marines. I don't want to let down the squadron, the Marine Corps, our freaking country. That's the only kind of fear yeah. trepidation I had going in. Anyway, so we do a split attack, and I got the I got the nerves, obviously, first combat mission. So when I pickle, uh, push the bomb release button, I don't hold it down long enough. So I only drop three off. But, <laughs> yeah. So knucklehead me. So Mongoose comes off, of course, <laughs> probably a little more calm and cool than I was. So he gets all his weapons off comes off the egress. I come off and I'm checking his hits, come off, look back, got mine. Beef and uh, Love You are coming in on their runs and I like, shit, I got one hung. And uh, I wasn't sure. I, I thought, well, I said that could be self-induced and it was. So I actually just roll right in back around behind Beef. <laughs> He's dash four and uh, drop my... <laughs> drop Uh-oh. My I think I know where this might be going because dash four is usually the guy that takes it in the shorts. Yeah, I know. So I ground <laughs> dash five now. <laughs> yeah. I got you, Beef. <laughs> I was very focused on getting that off, but now I just got Pipper on target. So uh, got a good hit on that one. I think you guys are mad. Thousand pounders, that'll do some damage. Yeah. yeah. So they all made one run. I made two runs. And then we <laughs> egressed back out, feet wet. Mongoose is like, get out here. <laughs> so we egress, join up, and then we got the gun and we re- regroup, go right back in. And we each made uh, two to three more runs until we were uh, Winchester empty on our uh, 25 millimeter. We just, Mongus just said, let's go. Everybody pick, everybody pick a tube, an artillery tube. And we, we hit them and um, we carry 300 rounds in the Harrier. You'll empty that gun in about six seconds. Uh, so we were always taught, remember, one second is about 50 round bursts. You know, so two seconds is about 100 round bursts. And so, uh, and 100 rounds of 25 uh, millimeter is going to do some damage to things. So yeah. we did that. And, and I'll tell you, this is where we probably got a little stupid, overly aggressive. We were, we were like a thousand feet straight from these guys. Oh, and boy. so we, we took out, I mean, between the ordnance and the guns, we took all this crap out. And meanwhile, found out later, Lieutenant Colonel Barry's peoples at the outpost are watching this. And, uh, and and they saw a lot of AAA getting shot at us and and other stuff. And we were we, we came out. Like I said we were Winchester. We were Winchester flares, twenty five Mike Mike bombs, cluster munitions. The only thing we didn't shoot was our sidewinders. And uh, 
Mongi's kind of like, hey, we, we've been here too long. Get out here, guys. And we egress back, feet wet, head south. And then uh, just interesting point is uh, on that mission, uh, Lieutenant Colonel Barry actually wrote us up and three people got DFCs off that mission because they wow. carried some people later. And he said they were all bleeding from the nose and ears from the concussion of those 83s. He said they all stopped firing and he said they were starting to get more accurate and walking their rounds on. And he said, and they didn't fire on us uh, anymore after that. They were terrified and they had found out later and so on. So, so they said, you know, th- that's it. And uh, anyway, Lieutenant Colonel Barry then became Colonel Barry, uh, regimental commander. And he, he wrote us up and, and followed up on it to make sure we got that because Strutt ran into him. It cacks like a year or two later. And he asked about it. And the guy said, he said, no, nah. Strutt told him, he said, no, nobody ever got a DFC. What are you talking about? And he goes, I wrote those guys up. So he followed up on it and told the story about how the A-10s uh, left him high and dry and how the Marine Harriers came in. And it was uh, uh, each, each squadron ended up launching division, but their guys watched all this. And and so uh, we felt pretty honored about that. Yeah, man, that's awesome. Yeah, it, it was, Jeez. Yeah, we felt pretty cool about that. I mean, it was very, you know, it's fulfilling because you, know, you guys know our job is to support the grunts. And yeah. you grunt writing us up for something like that and, it meant a lot to us, but it was like I said, it was years later before it ever it ever appeared uh, for anybody. It just wow. kind of all the mess. And to be honest, if he wasn't a regimental commander at the time, who knows what would happen? But that guy, I mean, th- there's a testament to leadership. Looking it up, following up on it, following so, through. Yeah, right, yeah, right. What a great example of leadership by Colonel Barry. I never met the man. Strutt made him out of, out of Cax and and said, "No, these are the guys," and, and told him all about it. He said, "Well, I'm following up on that." And he wrote a letter to the Marine Corps Gazette and so on and. His little article that he talked all about that and, and basically making the case of this is why the Marine Corps has close air support, because the Air Force said, don't worry, we'll take care of it for you. And, you know, not, not knocking any A-10 guys is heroic guys out there and did a great job. But from an institutional perspective, they slapped ROE on these guys, which hamstrung them and they yeah. can't violate their ROE. And they did. Yeah. 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 But the Marines, I mean, Mongus didn't even give it a second thought. He's like feet dry. Let's go. And eight thousand feet ingress, and then and then it's like let's go strafing. And you guys know gun runs. You ain't doing gun runs at ten thousand feet. We're, we were down at low yeah. and uh, strafing the shit out. Yeah. Hey, and just uh, just as a side note for our listeners, um, each one of those twenty five millimeter rounds is about a pound of projectile. So you were put, you and were when put, it's supersonic or damn close to it, <laughs> and you yeah. guys were shooting HEI rounds. Right. Yeah, we probably had HEI loaded at that point. We loaded in the API armor-piercing uh, incinerary later. Um, that's why where I live now, Rocky Flats, the old uh, Rocky Flats, <laughs> where they made all the plutonium triggers. And people are like, aren't you afraid of plutonium? I'm like, yeah. dude, I was walking around this, you know, you know loading up your uranium-depleted around, helping out the ordnance guys. I'm like, Wait. I'm going to die of something in my life, but I'm not too worried about the plutonium that's like a mile away from me, buried right. in the dirt. Well, my, my point being, you were throwing 50, 50 rounds a second downrange. That's 50 pounds of high-explosive supersonic projectiles coming downrange. That's impressive. That's a good point, Fig. Yeah, yeah. you can think about in those terms. That's a good point. Yeah, It's, it's impressive. Yeah. And you mentioned strut. I got a quick quick strut story. To take yeah. Just an example of how small the world is, again, the aviation world. So I'm sitting in... Uh, uh, out of town in my base one day and 
uh, I've known Strut for a while. He's working for the scheduling group at my airline. And we were talking about a mutual friend whose daughter had just completed OCS. And the platoon sergeant had gotten sideways, uh, shall we say, with the UCMJ. And we got the chatting about OCS and all that. And then realized, yeah, I knew Strut from Harriers. But I didn't realize that I, I we went to OCS together. No way! In '83, we were in the same platoon. In '83, we had this, and I went back and found the picture and everything. It's like, oh yeah, no shit. We stood right across from each other. I knew I recognized him. I knew I knew him. It was familiar, and I knew him from Harriers. And I thought that's where I knew him from. And we got to talking. It's like, oh crap, we went to OCS together too in '83. So that's a small world. That is yeah. awesome. Yeah, that's how it goes. But yeah. So, all right, enough enough of my stories. We're here for your stories. All right, back um, to the Gulf War. That was yeah. day. That was day one, right? Yeah, yeah. You day guys one and so to much be fun. Flying and uh, oh, you were on alert. And holy shit, here you go. Okay, yeah, that was so. Something. Please, please continue. I, I don't want to. I don't want to get ahead of myself, but I know Man, there's a what? yeah. That, so that that was mission number one, and so felt pretty successful about that. And then, uh, as you know, we. Uh, we kind of flew fairly survivable tactics as much as possible. So there's a couple of times we flew, we didn't drop high risk and weather would have driven us low. And we're like, Hey, we got time. We can come back the next day. But when the groundwork kicks off, it's all bets are off. We're going to do what we need to do. So right. we were surging two hairs every five minutes. And as soon as that thing kicked off. And so second day of the ground war, uh, they found, uh, ISR assets, uh, Intel surveillance reconnaissance assets, uh, found, I think it was the Iraqi sixth armor division, is going after as uh, advancing toward the left flank of the second Marine division um, is they're punching through. So we found them in the morning and um, I was taken off on that one with the uh, salt beers. And at this point, you know, we got the winders are off the planes because there's no air threat. So we're carrying our standard loadout was a six Mark 20 rock eye, which equates to about 1500 sub munitions and our gun, pretty devastating load, very effective against armor, self propelled artillery, all that type of stuff. Right. So we uh, F-18 Deltas working the uh, the road that's heading that way. And we hit them and we come back. We're flying out of our main base. But then we would hit a target, come back to our forward operating base, which is called Tanajib, maybe like 35, 40 miles south of the border, land there, expeditionary field, get loaded up with uh, bombs, um, quick intel update, maybe hand you a sandwich. And then we get ready and, and off we'd go. Uh, it was a great shot of uh, Napalm and Rockeye. Uh, yeah, Napalm. We were the only aircraft uh, dropping Napalm. I was uh, proud to proud to say that. But yeah, that's pretty awesome, man. <laughs> fire from the sky, baby. Yeah, off the top rope with the fire. Anyway, yeah. yeah. So, uh, yeah. so for those that's for those watching on video, not listening on audio. Sorry. I'll try and get those within on Solarewaves.us. I'll try and get some of these photos up within the uh, blog post that covers this episode. So yeah. So we go back for the uh, second one. And remember, Saddam had lit off all the oil fires. So we've got a low ceiling of very black smoke and so on. So we got to got to get below that to get into the target area. And I think it was like maybe seven, 8,000 feet on that one. So second mission coming up and we're dropping down, like I said, surging two Harriers every five minutes. Uh, we come down, break out below. Um, I don't see my lead, but I see uh, the section right in front of us because the F-18, the uh, airborne forward air controller, they're working up and down this road and uh, calling out targets for us um, and calling out threat. And they said, hey, these guys are hunkered down now. After we hit them in the morning, they were moving. We stopped them. He said, I think they're hunkered down. No threat. Come on down. 
So when I break out, I look ahead. I <laughs> oh, no threat. <laughs> threat is a variable. <laughs> right on. Hey, hey Vapor, <laughs> hold on. I, I got to say, when you say when I broke out, you mean you came through the over over yeah. overcast to the undercast, right? So, so break out okay. underneath that now. Yeah. Okay. But I look out ahead. I can see the section in front of it, which actually was Venom. Uh, Venom was a CEO at 231 at that time. And so I see them pop their flares rolling in. And, uh, and I'm, and I look over and I don't see my lead. Um, so I'm thinking, okay, we, you know, try to join up in him or follow these guys in. And, uh, and, and we're heading, you know, toward the target area. And that's when I get, uh, I get, I get hit by a service to air missile, uh, handheld one, probably an SA 14 is what it's called. And that's a, and it hits me in the right rear hot nozzle. And, and you guys would know what this feels like. And when you were doing lat lull to do tactics training, so you're down low, pulling high G, and you hit like your wingman's uh, jet wash. Yes. And the plane like yeah. jump. Yeah. That, that's exactly, people say, I said, that's what it felt like. Felt like plane jet wash. Like that. Yeah. And, uh, and I'm like, shit. Except when it hits, there's a noise also, and all the freaking uh, warning lights uh, light up like at once. And I'm like, shit. Good so, times. I Good times. <laughs> I just keep the G in to point south and uh, roll out, look over my shoulder, and the uh, the wing's on fire. And uh, dude, I sometimes did you think about punching out? Like, so my you, dad, old with the wing, uh, did you have a, uh, were you carrying napalm on that particular day? Uh, 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 they loaded us up uh, with rock eye up at the, uh, okay. up at the center. And uh, so I had, uh, I'd just been reloaded with six rock eye again and uh, still had the gun. Uh, I, I didn't empty the gun on my first sortie, so I still had rounds in there. And so, um, anyway, I, I keep the turn in. I, I tell them I'm hit, and the F-18 Delta, they see me on fire. And it was a, a guy time. It was Lieutenant Rob Scanio, call sign Meats, the pilot. He, uh, uh, yeah, I went to flight school with him. Oh, did you go with Meat? Yeah, good yeah. dude. I talked yeah. to him later. Great yeah. guy. And he said Major Cronin was in the back seat, and, and they saw me get hit on fire, and they – Good dudes, they freaking, I mean, shot up to join up on me. They're getting on the phone to the DASC, Direct Air Support Center, saying I'm going to get hit because they, th- they thought I was going to punch out any second. And I'm like, no, I said, I'm, I'm not going to punch out. Um, old thing my dad taught me. We had a machine shop and, and stuff, and he said, this is a kid I just remember he told me one time, liquid burns, vapor explodes. And I'm like, well, I'm just burning right now. It ain't going to explode, and, and I don't want to punch out over top of a division that we've been bombing the piss out of for about the last two or three hours. Right. They're not going to be happy to see. Well, actually they are going to be happy to see you. You're not going to be happy to see them. You're going to be on that one. It's going to be a different type of gauntlet. And uh, (laughs) anyway, uh, so so left wing on fire. uh, You didn't know this, but the left, the left hot. Oh, right wing. So uh, was it the right hot nozzle? Yeah. Right rear hot nozzle is a big piece of titanium, very strong, which actually, contained a lot of the blast yeah. uh, which was good so the plane's flying and you, you just kind of go back to your basics what do i need to fly an engine and hydraulic system because hydraulics yeah. runs on flight controls and i'm yeah. like yeah. so people say, what 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 did you lose i go i go i didn't care what i lost i always worried about what i had and at right. the time i had an engine hydraulics were still lasting even though i had the warning lights and stuff and i go so the plane's gonna fly and and i and me you know is joining up and so there's my navigation and my BDA battle damage assessment uh, to tell me what's going on. And I just remember telling him, I said, let me know when we're across friendly line or you're 
we're away from friendlies so, so I can jettison these things because things are pretty dynamic on the battlefield, exactly where friendlies were. It was a you know, very dynamic yeah. environment. And yeah. so when you say uh, jettison these things, you, you didn't want to jettison those, uh, those ga- uh, gators. They don't want gators. Uh, uh, the, the, the rock eye. Yeah. You didn't oh, want man. to jettison the rock eye over friendlies. Yeah, exactly. Yes. I didn't see because. Little, That's big know, SA, bro. That is yeah. big yeah. situational awareness. Yeah. Well, the reason is because I lost SA is I turned south and I'm like, and I didn't know exactly like, okay, where the hell am I right now? And, and that's why, you know, man's got to know his limitations, right? And if right. you don't know something, fess right. up. And I'm just yeah. like, dudes, let me know when it's safe to jettison. Because the, the way the Marine Corps FAC A, that backseater, they're keeping complete battlefield situational awareness yep. on where units are and stuff. And I know that guy... Major Cronin is going to know a lot better where friendlies are and when I can jettison than I will. And 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 the fact is your forward air controller, Airborne, he's in, he's in an OV-10, he in a Bronco? Uh, They they were in a A Hornet. Hornet. Okay. Yeah. So they're, and so he's the guy calling in airstrikes on uh, various elements. Okay. He was controlling us. So he said, Hey, you're clear now, jettison the bombs. And they said, all right, Hey, we'll get you back to a Tanajeev. And I'm like, dude, I'm not going to make it that far. Uh, let's go for Ahmed Al-Jaber, because I remember Al-Jaber uh, field there. We were going to use that as a forward operating base of the Harriers if we were going to end up going into Baghdad, because we didn't we didn't know how this thing was going to play out long term. Yeah. So yeah. we bombed the piss out of run runway, and with the other one we we left open, but Saddam had put some barricades on it or something. So I said, hey, if you guys can head that way and fly ahead and tell me which runway is open. And so they we got close. They shot ahead. So I'm like, the burn is shot ahead, and he's like, all right. You're right. The one runway, the western one is 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 open. They got some barricades. They got no sweat, dude. I can land in between them. I'm in a freaking Harrier. So I roll in on final, and uh, I go to put the gear down, and um, uh, the gear don't come down. So the the outward stay up, nose and main kind of drop with some gravity, but I'm not getting any down and locked. So I I use that emergency pneumatic system to try to blow them down, and the systems doesn't nothing changes. I said, what do you guys see? It says, well, it looks like your nose and main are down, but your outriggers definitely aren't. But I'm not getting down and locked on any of them. I think they just kind of fell with some gravity, but they're probably just still hanging there. Yeah. And uh, so like, hey, what, well, what, what kind of speed are you flying? Uh, well, I'm slowing down now, uh, turning in. So I'm probably below probably 200 knots. Okay. Uh, I'm setting up for kind of, I kind of entered like a base leg and I'm turning on final. I think, well, I'll do a vertical landing. So I start feeding the nozzles in. And of course, the right rear hot nozzle doesn't move; it's jammed. So three nozzles go down. The one doesn't. So as you guys know, I get a lot of yaw because yeah. the one nozzle on the right side is yawing the plane. And the rule in the Harrier is what: you put the nozzles in, it does something funny. Put them back where they put were. them back. Yeah, yep. put them back. So I put them back out, and I turn down. I go, all right. Well, that's not going to work. But maybe I can do some type of RVL, uh, rolling vertical landing, or something like that. You know, I'm kind of sitting there going, this plane is flying and it's a weapon system and I'm responsible for it and I don't want to you know, lose it. So yeah. I turn back around, I tell the guy, so I'm on downwind and I'm kind of talking to these guys. Hey, I'm Are you still fly. on fire? Are you still on fire at this point? Well, finally, it's the right wing is burned out now. So the right flap is gone. And, and here's something else. Remember, you don't want to know something else. Composite wings, they don't weaken with heat. Remember what happened? Ah, yeah. The AC-130 got on fire. That wing folded because metal weakens with heat. Yeah. And God bless McDonnell Lugus and the engineers. Mm. That wing didn't lose any structural integrity 
due to fire and heat. It's it just mel- it, it just made it harder, probably. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, probably. It's not going to bend at all now. Yeah. So I mean, there's another case. I mean, tragic. We lost what 13 people in AC 130. Wind yeah. caught on fire. That metal weakened, folded up. Everybody died. So yeah. here I am. The flaps completely burned away. Uh, Salt told me that later. He was above me. He said, yeah, you just had a big square missing in your wing with a flat burned away. But I said, man, the wing was fine. Anyway, so I'm kind of on approaching a beam and I'm thinking, well, you know, I'm going to try this, see what happens. And about this time, the hydraulics finally bleed out completely. So the plane pitches up, rolls over. And when I remember they taught us to elevate our head 12 degrees for an ejection. And, you know, but so I do that. And as I kind of look up, all I see is a sand dune. I go, shit, hope the freaking seat works. So I pull the handle, and I go out in the uh, low-altitude, low-airspeed mode. So for the listeners, the Harrier had four ejection modes. The low-altitude, low-airspeed mode was designed to save the pilot if you were in a stabilized and 50, 60-foot hover that you would be able to, in the plane, if something went wrong, you would be able to get punched out of the plane and get a swing in the parachute before you hit the ground. So I'm slow enough because uh, I'm... I forget when the low speed mode kicked in. It was, I think, around 200 some knots. So I'm below. I'm below 200 yeah. knots. Yep. And uh, I'm obviously low. Um, I think when I rolled, I was about 900 feet or something. And so uh, when I punched, I talked to the engineers later, and they kind of figured out I was about 850 feet inverted, 30 degrees nose down. And um, so I go out, and uh, engineers later told me said about 139 feet out, you got seat man separation based on your weight and everything. So I pull the handle, heads up, big flash from the deck cord that's around the canopy. So we go straight out. So unlike Goose and Top Gun, we don't have to wait for the canopy to clear. The detonation cord blows a hole. We go right through it. Right through it. Yep. Yeah. Off we go. And if that doesn't work, there's a spike behind our seat. Yeah. that'll make You're going hole. anyway, bro. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, blow or no blow. <laughs> there you go. So shoot out. Um, seat man separation. Uh, it's very high G. I remember, I remember looking at my feet, seeing a flame, thinking to myself, why am I looking at my feet? I was just looking up a second ago, but I think That's 30 right. G's will do that to you. So I blame <laughs> uh, my plane as I'm leaving it. And, uh, like there's a plane upside down, there's the sky and I'm heading down towards the ground. Seat man separation. And then of course, um, flying through the air and the spreader gun goes off to spread the parachute. And right. that was probably one of the most violent things because now you're going that way, I don't know, 150 miles an hour, and the parachute suddenly opens, and, man, that snaps the shit out of you. So I hit so – now I'm going spinning sideways, going around, and uh, as I'm kind of spinning, uh, kind of out of control, uh, I, I actually see the plane hit, and uh, I see this explosion. I go, oh, there's my freaking plane hitting which at least gave me SA because I'm like, okay, the runway's to my east. The plane is to the south because I was trying to land kind of to the north. And I'm like, that's the way I want to go. <laughs> and um, anyway, so I, I stopped. I kind of stabilized there and uh, go through my, remember IROC, uh, Inflate Your Raft. It was the acronym we uh, right. learned uh, when we went out. Right. So, yeah. you know, check the canopy, uh, release your raft, you know, do your options. Make sure your canopy is okay and so on. But the options are like visor down, mask on or off, gloves on or off, that type of stuff. And I don't have a lot of time to do the options. And, and But I just make sure the canopy's good. I look down and go, shit, here comes the ground. So eyes on the horizon. Shit, they tie in. And I'll tell you what, man, but training is amazing. You guys remember we're sitting in Pensacola going through AI, and they yeah. had us jumping off 
the, the thing and landing on the wrestling mats and rolling. Yeah. 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 <laughs> PLS. I'm telling you, that, that shit went through my mind. And I'm like, look at the horizon, point your toes, bend your knees. Isn't that funny? Yeah. This is just rote. Yeah. Training, baby. Yeah. Training. You don't. I think back to, uh, real quick to interrupt, sorry. Uh, I think back to our show with uh, Tammy Joe, Bonnie. And she she's the one that did th- uh, Southwest 1380 when the engine exploded. And the woman got sucked halfway out and was it was killed, sadly. And it turned out that airplane was a whole lot less controllable. It wasn't just a single engine recovery. It, it was wow. bad. Um, well worth listening to her, how she got that. But she said that very thing. She goes, it adrenaline doesn't give you super knowledge for no apparent reason, but it gives you an amazing recall. Absolutely right. And yeah, uh, I was like, wow, okay. <laughs> and you get time compression too, which I'll talk about in a second. Yeah, yeah. So you go through this stuff, and uh, it comes back like yesterday. And so when I hit the wind, uh, I'm sitting going, okay, this is good. The wind's blowing me sideways. I'm going to roll. This is going to work out just fine. And right above the ground, wind shift, and I turn, and I'm going nose on. And I'm like, oh, this is going to hurt. Oh, so I kind of pull my knees a little higher, grab the rises, and as right as my feet, I pull as hard as I can and try to twist the land on my side. And I just plow into the freaking ground. Luckily, it was sand. And, um, oh, man. Now, remember when they threw us in the pool in Pensacola? Yes. And you, and you I'm guessing to- it wasn't nice and cool and relaxing like the pool in Pensacola. Uh, just you're a guess. Honest, pull yes. on more rises and it flips you over. Yes. And, dude, the pool went right back in my brain. I pulled on a riser, flipped me under my back. And I reached up, grabbed the coke fittings, and popped them. And man, yeah, because you're getting drug, you're getting drug across the ground. Yes, yeah. yeah, yeah. So then I just lay there for a second, and but it's an interesting change because one moment, King <laughs> Kong in the most advanced aerospace technology right. mankind has produced. Yeah, man. You right outside that canopy, it's one million BC. It's harsh. Now you're right. laying there on the ground, and I just. It's all quiet all of a sudden, and I'm laying there thinking, and you feel very exposed. And up until this time, we'd lost every hairy guy had been uh, POW or killed. Um, and I'm laying there going, okay, how's my body feel? It's like, it feels okay. Yeah. And I kind of sit up, and I look around, and there's a chute blown away. I go, remember what they taught us in SEER school? And so I go, well, I don't have to bury my parachute. It's going to be long gone. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I didn't. Turn the ELT off though. I didn't think to do that. I, like pop the, I released the seat pan or that clip and I got rid of that. Yeah. ELT is your emergency locator transmitter sending out a radio signal. Pick me up here. Look at me. Look at me. <laughs> hey, <laughs> yeah, enemy. <laughs> yeah. So I just think well, I got to get moving and I sit up and I'm kind of by the uh, infantry trenches, which were by the airfield. So I uh, pull out my trusty Glock. And I run over and jump into a trench and be like, why are you carrying a Glock 17? If you guys remember, remember the Beretta 92s were all breaking. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So we were authorized to carry anything we wanted. And I went online to a little research and read about this new Austrian gun that looks like it's pretty reliable, shoots in the mud. It was the plastic gun. But I'm like, I think this thing's going to be pretty good for me. And it only weighs, you only got, you only got five pounds of survival gear. So Glock 17 with a spare magazine is two and a half pounds. I go, well, I got 34 rounds and weighs two and a half pounds. Give me two and a pounds of other crap. So anyway, jump in the trench. So I do my little best World War One invitation to clear a trench. There's no one in it. Well, that worked out well. And I get on the radio now and I uh, call the DAP, the F-18 Delta, because you know we're on what's that? On guard 243. Then we switch over to the rescue, and uh, I tell them, hey, 
They're like, how you doing? I go, hey, I'm, I'm here. I'm going to start beat feet and south. So let's get the search and rescue going. They said, good luck. I'm like, Semper Fi, off I go. We're all counting on you. Yeah. <laughs> I jump out and uh, I look around and uh, I make my way south. And of course, what's in front of infantry, infantry trenches? The barbed wire. Sure. And so run the barbed wire. And I'm like, all right, I got to get through this. But what's in front of, what's going to be in front of the barbed wire? Minefield. Yeah, land minefield. Yes. So, Is that a problem? Yeah, so <laughs> I make my way through the concertina wire. I get through that and I go, well, this is where the freaking minefield is. And I'm looking around and you can see the, uh, the the anti-tank mines. They just kind of threw those on the ground. They're pretty big. And I okay. can see a couple. And remember the enterprise mines had those like three little little fingers sticking right. up? Yeah. Yes. I, saw, I saw one or two of those. I go, okay, shit, I, I got to find my way. So I literally am just walking along like the front of the a concertina wire, barbed wire. And dude, what do I run into? A piece of white tape heading out. And I go, son of a bitch. That's engineer tape. And as we know, because we, every Marine's an infantry officer. Yes. That's engineer guys play that tape, but they put in a minefield and they walk up and down that. And I go, son of a bitch. That's my path out of here. And I get on this. <laughs> and it also goes through my mind to go, this tape looks kind of new. And uh, so anyway, I go, fuck it. I'm I'm walking on this thing. And I head out on this freaking tape. I'm going, you know, I'm having his vision of like being freaking Rifleman Doyle here with his <laughs> LLMA and going through, you know, with my bayonet looking for damn, you know, things trying to crawl my way out of this thing. And I'm like, son of a bitch. Off I go. So I get through this thing and I run to the end of it and I keep going a little further. I look around and it doesn't look like this soil's been moved. I go, God damn, I'm through the goddamn minefield. And so things are going well for me at this point. Sure. And um, <laughs> our, our life changes the points. Anyway, I keep heading south and I uh, see some personnel uh, down there and I get back on the radio. Tanker and uh, Salter back, uh, 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 the F-18 and uh, Salter back at the tanker. I say, hey, man, uh, I've made my way south of ways. Can you guys come back? I got personnel vehicle to my south, and and I don't recognize them because here's why I didn't recognize them. They were wearing the uh, the mop gear uh, from uh, from European Command, so it was green. So they got like green legs and arm uh, and legs, but they got the tan vest because they got the desert. And I'm yeah. looking, what the uniform is that? Right. And so these guys come back, so I kind of lay low. They uh, come back out of the tanker. They overfly and they kind of know where I'm at. And you think you've gone two miles, which is a long ways. But from a guy in the air, that's like this far. Right. And so they go back right. <laughs> and they overfly it, scared the shit out of these guys, by the way. And they saw the inverted V on a Humvee. And they said, those guys are friendlies. Make your way to them. So I found out later this was a, a patrol from one of the task forces of the Marines that was coming up behind. They had already blown through this. So that actually was Marine engineer tape. And one of the army units had shot through going deep. And this was like the infantry that was coming up to secure the flanks. And they were coming up looking for the breaching area. And they had seen a plane crash. And that their their uh, you know platoon commander said, hey, keep an eye out. Maybe the pilot got out. So I'm out there and I see this guy run. So I take the camouflage off my helmet. So now I got the white reflective tape and I wave it. And I yell, U.S. Marine, sure enough. Freaking Lance Colbert comes running up, puffing and puffing in mop level three. And uh, poor bastard. 
You're out there in a flight suit with your helmet off and you said mop gear. Mop gear is oriented protective posture. So the gear and level three is everything except your mask. It's like wearing it's like wearing a glad bag. It's horrible. Charcoal filtered uh, coveralls, man. It's horrible. Big old Marine. And and he's carrying and he's the saw gunner, the squad automatic weapon gun, which is heavy. And he runs up and and I tell him, he's, hey, sir, we, we were looking for you. They told us to look out for you. And I said, well, here we are. And he goes, we start talking. He goes, we got to get out of here. That airfield is full of Iraqis. We bypassed them. I'm like, got it. I'm following you. So make Hold my on. way. Hold yeah. on. I see you just glossed over something there. What airfield? Oh, airfield that you try oh. to land at? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the airfield so, that you ejected over? Yes. <laughs> the, the one that you ran through the trench, clearing the trench? <laughs> That airfield? Are we talking about that one, Vapor? <laughs> they draw the nice little line like, here's the forward line of troops. But that's just where the front line looked more like that, not like that. <laughs> yeah, uh-huh. some more like fingers than a line, yeah. Yeah, yeah, okay. So anyway, I'm like, maybe good I didn't end up there. So yeah. I get with this Humvee, and we drive south. I, get, I think it was Task Force Shepard, and they're standing there uh, waiting for the orders to kick off. And so I you know, meet the – CO standing there and the OPSO and Intel guy and says, Hey, can you give us an update? And I'm like, yeah, I said, you head up that way. And I told him what was up in front of them and gave him a, a good assessment of what was up there and, and, and what's it, what it looked like. And then uh, two Hueys coming in and land and they were issuing orders by, by courier. They weren't, I don't know why they weren't doing it on a radio. Maybe they thought they'd be intercepted. So two Hueys land, give them their orders. They pack up and they're like, Hey, you want to go with us? And I'm like, I'm the only dude here not in mop level three. You know, they're joking with me, obviously. And yeah. luck skipper and off we go. And so they take off and and the I look at the Huey guys and, and they said, Hey, we called the Dask. They'll they'll get someone up here to come pick you up. So I just I just go sit down and hang out with the two Huey guys. And that's when it first kind of hit me when I stopped moving that I think the adrenaline finally stopped, and then I realized, man, I'm pretty freaking sore. That, that was that was my next question. Though this whole time, I'm like, yeah. what? I, I, nobody gets through an ejection without some kind. Yeah, of I had uh, I had later on found I had I had uh, compression fractures in L3 and L4. Uh, the force Ohana's buckle that felt like somebody just took a baseball bat and punched me in the sternum. You ever heard your sternum? It hurts to breathe because your sternum. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah, and I'm kind of taller, and and so I, you know, push my feet out when I ejected. So the tops of my feet caught the forward part of the canopy. So they top of my my feet are now starting to like shit. These things ache, and I'm like, I wonder. I hope it didn't break a bone in those things. So I'm just <laughs> kind of a little beat up now. It's starting to set in. So I'm just sitting on the Huey. Oh man! And about 45 minutes go by, and all of a sudden the radio kicks on, and they said we got orders to move. And I said, well, shit, I'm just going to go with you guys. I figured we had really high casualty estimates, and I thought, man, yeah. these guys are busy doing medevac, casavac, and I'm I'm doing fine relatively, obviously. So I just jump with these guys, and the freaking <laughs> gunner has got a 50 cal mod deuce. He says, hey, sir, you want to be my A gunner? I'm like, sure, tell me what to do. So I hook up, and he's like, well, there's the spare ammo, and just keep feeding if I run out. I'm like, roger that, buddy. <laughs> so we take <laughs> off. I got that. that was Toad's Wild Ride. Those Huey guys. Lead was probably at about 25 feet. We're dash two. I'll bet we're at 50 feet oh and we're God. whipping across the battlefield. I'm going, this is pretty badass. And uh, and the freaking gunner looks at me and he goes, he's like, hey, sir, it looks like you guys have been dropping a lot of uh, duds. And I go, what do you mean? He goes, look at all those bombs out there. He's looking at the cases, the shells, the, the, sh- the clouds. Oh, from the, yeah, from the rocket. 
And I'm like, dude, I go, that's clamshells from Rock Eye. And he goes, they're all over the place. And I tell you, dudes, every time we drove by, flew by a revetment with Artie or tanks, there was Rock Eye there. No oh, shit. Every yeah. we went by, black marks on the ground from the napalm. And I'm like, so I was kind of going, man, we we did some freaking work up here. Yeah. Anyway, we we go back and they're going back. These guys are General Myatt's like freaking helos. And General Myatt is the CG of um, uh, First Mardiv. And so we go land back at the combat post, which is by the Bergen oil fields. And we land there. And as we land, I'm looking out and I'm seeing all these freaking APCs, armored personnel carriers, Iraqi ones on like, like, a, like a dozen of them. And we land. I go, what the frick happened here? And the, the gunner said, oh, yeah, they, they'd, they'd been attacked earlier that day. And uh, some Cobras and uh, it lit them up. And I think they had some uh, LAVs with toes, a tube uh, launched optically tracked weapon. It's an anti-tank weapon. And they lit these dudes up. I mean, it was at least a dozen. And so I'm going, shit. So I'm sitting, so we land there and I'm sitting there and these guys run off to do their thing. And so I'm just kind of sitting in the Huey kind of going, God, you know, like I said, starting to feel a little achy. And anyway, this, yeah. this one uh, guy walks by me and uh, he looks at me, he goes, what are you doing? Because like I said, I'm I'm in a G suit and torso harness, you know, carrying my helmet, and everybody <laughs> is in mop level three with an infantry helmet. Yeah. And now I'm standing there and he and the guy comes up to me and no shit, he's the division air officer. And I, I don't remember his name, but he's a colonel. And he and he says, What what are you doing here? And I said, Well, these guys picked me up. You know, I'm a Harrier pilot, you know, Mag 13 forward, flying out of here, and we're doing some missions, and I told him what I was doing. And, and so we talk a little bit. He does. He looks at me and he says, come with me. You need to meet the general. And I'm sitting there thinking, <laughs> Captain Numbnuts here, who just got his ass shot down because he's a freaking knucklehead. And you want me to go talk to the commanding general of the division in the middle of freaking combat. And, and I'm like, what? And he, and he just says, he goes, the general needs to see you. And I'm like, okay. okay. Later on, you know, when you have a moment to reflect, you thought the strategic level this guy was thinking at. Anyway, so yeah. arches me up, and there's that that AAV, that amphibious assault vehicle, command and control with all the antennas sticking out of it. Yes. A makeshift table. And I look, and I see the old guy, the old gray-haired guy, and I'm like, that's got to be him. Two phones in his ears. In the chaos of battle, there's organization to it. I mean, right. talking, barking orders, people are coming and going. And the, the the division officer holds me, and he's waiting for a break. He goes, "Okay, now." And he walks up when things kind of calm. When he you know takes one phone out of his ear, he goes, "General." He goes, "Once you meet a Harrier pilot," and he turns and looks at me. And at that point, I had a realization that he's not looking at vapor; he's looking at a Marine jet pilot. And right. at that point, I represent every flyboy he's ever run into in an O club his entire career. And we make fun of each other and we tease each other, but here's one of these guys that gets flight pay that hangs out in a flight suit, drinks at an O club. And, and it, it just kind of dawned on me that that's what he's looking at right now. Yeah. And the division air officer says, this guy just got shot down, uh, repeated what I had told him. He said, attacking an armored, uh, unit that was attacking the left flank at second uh, second Mardiv, 
And uh, when we just picked him up and uh, he's like, he's, he looks at me and he's, uh, he goes, how are you doing? And I'm thinking, how am I doing? What are you, how are you doing? <laughs> to the commanding general of a Marine infantry division in the middle of combat, who obviously had just fought off a counterattack of armed personnel carriers at his command post, and he didn't evacuate. And I'm like, am I going to look at this guy and say, oh, my pussy hurts, and uh, could you get me to the freaking hospital? Yeah. My foot uh, sore. My foot yeah. sore, General. <laughs> or, uh, how many Marines have you lost this morning is what's going through my mind. And this kind of hits me. I have a little this epiphany. And, uh, and he's looking at me with very intense eyes. And I just told him, I said, uh, I said, I'm doing good. I'm grateful to your Marines that, uh, that, that picked me up. And I, and I said, um, and we're doing our best to support you. And he said, yeah, he said, you guys are doing good work. And he said, and he made a comment like my casualties are low or he made a comment like, or he's made a comment like we're, we're, we're ahead of schedule or the operations ahead of schedule. It's going well. You guys are doing and any, and he was maybe favorable to us. And I found out later, I actually looked this up later that his division uh, got uh, hit on uh, 42 times by Iraqi artillery, 28 times their counter battery artillery took out the Iraqis. The other 14 times it was Harriers that took out the artillery that was uh, uh, hitting his units. Nice. I'll bet he already knew that at that time. And so he looks at me and he goes, well, we kind of talk about it and he, he's thanking me. Here's a you know two-star freaking general, you know, dumb shit captain. And he's thanking me for what we're doing. He says, what can I do for you? And I'm thinking, <laughs> tall redhead. <laughs> there's, only one, there's only one answer here. And you guys know, I mean, any other Harry guy would have said the same thing. I just said, I said, sir, if you get me back to my base, I can get back in a Harrier and, and I can, I can get back to work supporting you. And, and he just gave me this look, put out his hand, vice grip, said, then Skipper, we're going to get you back to your base. And he looks while he's holding my hand in his death grip. He looks at the Huey guys and he says, you get him back to his base so he can get back in a Harrier. And he looks back at me and says, Semper Fi. He says, I'm kind of busy now. <laughs> Shit hot. That is outstanding. And I'm telling you, he didn't hit me then. Years yeah. later, you look back when you're a little more yeah. senior and you have that time for reflection. And I just yeah. thought to myself, this is that bond. This is why. This is what is the Marine bond. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like he looked at me and thought, and that division air officer dragging me up there to say he needs to see that there's a jet jock who just got shot down trying to protect his Marines and support him. And when I said, we need to fly so I can support you, that's what we exist for. Yeah. those his Huey guys and because when I got the Huey guys I go what are we going to do and he said you heard the general we're getting you back to your base I'm like son of a bitch and uh, anyway in that moment I said I look back on that later and I thought two-star general I said I'll bet he he said I met this Harry guy and he got shot down supporting us this is why we have fucking marine air this is why we're not going to rely on other people because these guys are going to do what it takes. And you guys know yeah. there's not a Harry pot out there that wouldn't have said the same thing and done the same thing. And, and that's what makes us special with that air ground team. And I'm just like, Holy crap. 
So the Huey guys, like, get in. Let's go. And they fly me back to Lonesome Dove, which was their forward base, aptly named. And then I hop a 53 ride, CH-53 helicopter ride, back to Tanaji because that was their main base and the Harrier forward base. It's nighttime now. It's been a long day. They drop me off the southern end where they're at. Harrier's up in the northern end. So I can't see. Everything's darked out because it's, uh, yeah. you know, they're worried about Scud missiles and shit like that. So everything's blacked out. So I'm walking up the AM2 matting with the, what they built the runway out of. I'm walking along, kind of tired, sore. And I feel, I hear like the clacking when you drive on that stuff, how that it clacks. Yeah, right, 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 right. Clacking, and I turn around and I hear an engine and I jump off the damn runway. Right as this freaking Humvee whips by me, obviously lights out. I'm thinking, son of a bitch. Yeah, I wouldn't go, that be something? Yeah. <laughs> Just survive getting off. shot down only to get run over by a damn Humvee. Dude, exactly. I'm like, we're going to go, how the frick did Vapor's body get here? Yeah. <laughs> that chicken shit, he was hiding out here, got hit by a freaking Humvee circling right. <laughs> so, I go, I'm not getting back on that damn runway. So I walk through the stand up the way, get the maintenance control. I'm like, hey, man, good to see sorry. you. Sorry, I broke your jet. Yeah, sorry about that. Yeah. <laughs> we'll do it again. Anyway, yeah. uh, jet, hey, are you going to maintenance control? Uh, your jet's down. <laughs> yeah. Hey, that, that jet's down, bro. It's I can tell you where it's at, yeah, but I don't. It's going to need <laughs> some serious work. Oh. Oh, anyway, they, uh, I, I sleep there that night, and uh, they had some scud missile launch. He come with, sir. We got to go to mop level three, and it, it ain't bravado. I was just freaking tired. I look at the guy. I'm like, dude. I go, it's yeah. my number at this point. Yeah. My number is up. I'm like, I'm really tired. And they're like, you're oh, he's so brave. I'm not freaking brave. Yeah. I was crazy and tired. So the next morning, wake up, hop in a pickup truck, making a parts run back to a King of Dual Disease. Speaking of parts. Yeah. Head down there and I uh, uh, get back to the main base, uh, go to maintenance control there. And I'm back and uh, n- n- nice welcome home. Uh, I talked to the skipper, went up, talked to Colonel Biote, uh, great, great gentleman, sat down, asked him what happened. He said, hey, I'm really glad to get you back. What do you want to do? I told him the General Myatt story. I said, said all right, I got to fly. I told General Myatt, you know, that's why he got me back. He goes, all right. And no shit, they put me on the schedule the next day. Of course, no shit. Yeah, but nice. of course, I get back to the squadron, and Doc Barron's like, "Hey, where's your medical thing from being on the uh, you know USS Mercy?" They heard I got picked up and I was on the hospital ship. I go, "Dude, I wasn't on a hospital ship." I mean, they go, "What have you been doing for a day and a half?" I go, "Planes, trains, and automobiles, trying to get freaking home." And uh, <laughs> holy shit, you can't go anywhere. Throws me down. Won't let me stand up. They send me to the freaking medical center. They X-ray oh, no. the crap out of me. I'm sitting there going, "Oh God." Mom Walsh is not going to have any grandchildren now. Just been radiated. If I, every, I mean, everything's dead. My testicles are probably fried. Right. So, like, oh. And they sit up, and the guy's like, "Well, you're down. You're not going to fly again." I go, "What do you mean I can fly again?" He goes, "You got you got L three L four fractures." I go, "And he goes, if you eject again, it's going to collapse." I looked at the guy and I said, "What are the odds?" <laughs> I mean, yeah, we had, we had flown three thousand sorties at that point. Right. He had like three guys ride the silk. That's one in a thousand. I mean, yeah. no other hair guy would have, would have said anything differently. Right. And apparently, he called down to Doc Barron. They said, that fucking captain said, what are the odds? <laughs> I'm like, going, well, yeah. I, That's go, almost a show title, down. too. We got a bunch of show titles today. Oh, Maintain I, I the ejection position. Ones. What are the odds? Meeting the general. <laughs> yeah. And I told the guy, uh, I, said, I said, look, <sighs> you give me a down shit, I'm going to rip it up when I get back to base. I said, because Colonel Biody said, I'm going to fly, and I'm going to freaking fly, because that's what I told freaking General Mayan, and I'm not going to freaking 
go back on my word to a two-star infantry general in the middle of freaking war. Yeah. And the guy just looked at me disgustedly and said, get out of here. So I go back. God bless them. They put me on a schedule. Me and Rosie are taxing out the next day, uh, about to head out. We're at the whole short line, and they freaking come down, cancel all Harrier ops because Harrier, Marine Corps objectives have been achieved. And now I got that highway to hell thing. And now we basically got too many aircraft for the airspace, and they canceled our, our <laughs> stuff. So taxi back in. I go, shit. And then dog calls me in. And he says, hey, uh, you're flying tomorrow. I'm like, oh, thanks. I'm like, I'm thinking to myself, it must be some weird mission. So I just kind of, you know, walk away and I look back at him and I go, what's the mission? He goes, to make sure you don't weep like a baby when you get back in the plane. I go, what? He goes, ah, he goes, these pussies, they're worried about you. So you got to go fly the plane tomorrow. I'm like, by myself? He goes, yeah. I go, what am I supposed to do? He goes, I don't give a shit. He goes, just fly around and show him you're not a pussy. I'm like, okay. <laughs> So, the next day, I'm the only Harry that launches from freaking King Abdul Aziz. So, what's out? Well, do some off. pattern work. Yeah. Yeah. Some macro. All the dasks, they're like, hey, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm just doing a fan flight. <laughs> they're like, yeah. oh. They're like, what's your, like, I don't have a loadout or anything. So, I fly around a little bit, come back into the pattern. And, of course, a couple of the guys pick up the, the, the uh, LSS. Uh, yeah. Landing, landing site supervisor. Yep. 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 Bingo, thank you for that acronym help. And, uh. <laughs> So there, of course, now now you got what? You got all your best friends all watching you. Bingo, dude. And that's yeah. the last thing you want. So I come around, I land, I hear this long, fast, slow, you know, calling. <laughs> right. I'm like, and the Russian judge says, <laughs> I'm like, hey, I'm trying to you know, regain my confidence. <laughs> They're not helping at all. Yeah, this so isn't I helping, boy. More critique. I do a vertical landing, more critique. <laughs> this kind of going, okay, I've had enough of this fucking fun. So. I land taxi. We all, but it is all your brothers are there. They're all supporting me and stuff. And dude, I, I'm like, I'm doing good. And no other place I'd rather be than maintenance control with all those dudes hanging around. Why are they hanging around? They were all wondering, yeah. hey, how's Vapor doing? Yeah, and I'm doing fine. And they, they were all there because guys ain't hanging out. Yeah, there. wow, hey, so, great. You know, just a great testament to the brotherhood that we all share, and uh, it's pretty awesome. And now, listen, I have a very serious question. Yeah. To ask. Yeah. It's very serious. How did the combat mustache survive through all that? <laughs> was there any singe marks from the debt cord? Or was it? Because the picture of you with your combat mustache, it is marvelous. It is magnificent. Yeah. That had to slow you down a little bit when you came out, <laughs> right? It added a little bit of aerodynamics. You know, to the, <laughs> there it the, is. There's hey, the picture. I, I got I to gotta tell you one last thing, and this will be quick because I know we're running along, is uh, they let me call home. And uh, uh, they said, hey, we'll get you. This is this is the day. This is pre-cell phone crap. So right, yeah. go to a big, you know, big satellite center, and they say, you, you get to call home and you know, let your parents know you're okay. And my mom is a school teacher in Walnut Creek, California. At Merwin, oh, I know Walnut I, Creek. I got family there. And are you ready for this? At her school, her co her coworker, a younger teacher, her brother flew Apaches in Desert Storm and was shot down the same day. How he how he come out of the thing? At school, got notification that two teachers both had one a son, one a brother, shot wow. down the same day. No wow. shit. His name was. Uh, I I, I, I was actually talked to my mom about to make sure I had my story straight. Before I uh, got on with you guys, his name was uh, Captain Micah Klingle, and he was a uh, Apache guy. And when I, I said, "Mom, was that is that right?" She goes, "Yeah, same day." 
I'm like, what are the freaking odds? Well, how, how did he come out of it? Uh, he, 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 and, uh, he and his warrant officer, um, they went down like, like they got hit, controlled landing. Okay. And the Hilo guys, they, other, the other guys in their company uh, picked them up and got them out of there. Awesome. Nice. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Isn't that crazy? Small world. Man. Wow. Yeah, it dude. is a small world. <laughs> I wouldn't want to yeah. paint it, but boy, is it small. And no, no kidding. Wow. Well, well thank we got to land this plane safe. Yeah, we do, thank dude. You. We've been talking a long time. My bladder's full. Holy shit. Thank you. I, th- I think we still make this one show. I, we, this is great. No breaking this up. Oh, yeah. Um, it's good. Yeah. It's good. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for your service, uh, for what you did for your fellow Marines, for those, especially those guys on the ground, but for all of us. We oh, really hey, appreciate right it. Right back at yeah. you guys. Yeah. We've got a great brotherhood, and the Marine Corps Brotherhood is great. It's a great fraternity, but then you even get smaller into our little our little hairier world. And the yeah. great, you now we've all known each other now for obviously we separate, come back together, but shit, the hairier reunion was a great time. Oh, yeah. uh, we're sitting there in the airport, and uh, my fiance, Lisa Brown, great lady, and I, I brought her out there for it. And um, we were sitting there with Fig in the freaking airport as we were. You know, <laughs> Good so times, great, buddy. Great reconnecting with you guys. And yeah. man, I love your podcast. I, I love the Lawman one. You know, with yeah. the Blue Angels. And- We're going to record with Lawman in about half an hour. Ah, no way. That's yeah. Awesome. He's coming yeah. on. When so you come watch us. And you see like Great American, you got yeah. like Lawman right there. And of course, right next to him is a Trey Wilborn. You know, he's, he's our yep. swapper mate we lost over there. Yeah. Yeah, I could tell you stories about that too. That was well. We're going to have you back for that. Absolutely. You got you got too many stories. Uh, yeah, that are untold. Way more good so, stuff to go. Yeah. You, will you so. come back? Will you come back, Vapor? Oh, oh, it would be an absolute honor. Oh, well, that's awesome. I'm glad. <laughs> this to hear just that. fills my heart with joy getting to sit and chat with uh, I know, all, right? all manner of aviators. But it's particularly fun to f- t- chat with the guys that were are near our air. And we're all church guys, man. Yeah. Yeah. So much, much, uh, much better V stall operators than the, than the Yuma boys. Yeah, absolutely. I'm just, I'm just throwing yeah, that out there. All weather. Yeah. All absolutely. Weather. All weather they attack. Yeah. The they logged the point two. They're like, <laughs> right. <laughs> exactly. So, right. all right. Well, we need to throw some other thank yous out there too. Can you think of any off the top of your head fig? How about Dave Hamilton and the Matt Geek Gap? Absolutely. He also does the gig gab and the business brain for musicians and entrepreneurs. We have a glossary on our website. So there was dot us slash glossary. If we didn't manage to circle back on some of these acronyms today, let us know which acronym you want to grab and have us put on the glossary. We will do it for you. You can email us. Fig, you got an email here, don't you? It's fig. And so there I was dot us. Perfect. Mine's repeated, so there I was, .us, because I'm so clever. Uh, we got a merch page. If you're watching the video, you can see the cool hat that Fig and I are wearing, the cool shirt I'm wearing. Guests are going to get one of these. I don't know if it's coming up because I'm not looking at that screen right now, but we get koozies now. Bikinis. Get your girl a bikini. That's right. you got to have a so there I was bikini. They're pretty yeah. hot. You'd look yeah. good in one vapor. Ooh. <laughs> these would look better in one so I'll, yeah. I'll i don't think these have room for a tuck just saying but you know go back to japan and get one of those cold pools and you won't need it this is not tc baby we're canceled now baby it's over oh, baby man. Yeah. Oh, they had a good run though 61 episodes <laughs> Woo! <laughs> right on so oh man and you can get that at so there I was dot us slash merch M E R C H. 
Um, How about Patreon? We, we Patreon. Got, we, got, we, got, we got some new pilots on Patreon. We do. What are their names? Uh, let's see. Uh, Hawktard, a.k.a. Yep. Adam, and Chris yep. Blaine. Thank you, gentlemen. Thanks for stepping up and throwing some fuel in the engine to help keep that engine running for us. We really, really appreciate that. We can't tell you how much we appreciate it. I'm thinking there may be one or two other people. Two? What's the word for two you know, in Spanish? I think, uh, well, I'm not real good, but dos, dos comes to mind. And I think what you're talking about is what I'm hearing in my ears. That's uh, the two F-16 pilots that make the Air Force sound good. Dos do indeed. Those gringos. And thank you to those gentlemen for coming on our show and for allowing us to use their music for our show. It is truly an honor, and we appreciate your service, gentlemen. Thank you very much. If you haven't heard the Dos Gringos, go out and get some of their music on Amazon or Spotify. It's a lot of fun, especially if you've flown any military aircraft. Their sh- their songs will come back to you and make you howl. 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 Absolutely. <laughs> In the pond, and you could see that I wasn't exactly fond of all the shit I was wearing on that day. Now, an F 16 is cramped enough, but it's even worse with all that stuff supposed to save your life. But we knew there was no way. Nah, nothing. No way. No way. You're going down the North Atlantic, man. It's over. What'd he say? He said it's over. Yeah, man. See ya! Okay, I didn't ask for your life story. <laughs> Thank you. Awesome, man. You're still here? It's over. Go home. Go.